0: Hello, Patrons! Welcome to The Rock vs. John Cena, a five-part event where a passionate, lifelong pro-wrestling fan will try to explain the history and appeal of that epic rivalry to a clueless pro-wrestling neophyte.
1: You can probably guess who's the lifelong pro-wrestling fan and who's the neophyte in this scenario.
0: Let's get started.
2: Do I have everybody's attention now? I was suspended by Vincent K. McMahon because of some things that I said. I didn't get in trouble because I announced July 17th is the day my contract comes to an end. And trust me when I tell you, I am leaving leaving with the WWE Championship. I didn't just get in trouble because I said this company inside and outside the ring are filled with a parade of shameless ass kissers. I didn't just get in trouble because of this little nugget. And I would like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's death, death, death. I got in trouble basically because I have the balls to say things that nobody else has the balls to say. But never fear, tonight, not only am I reinstated... CM Punk's reinstated, you've got your match. Vince McMahon desperately wants to sign me to a very long-term, very lucrative contract with World Wrestling Entertainment. It's funny to me that Vince is bending over backwards to give me everything I've ever wanted. My face got everything. I want cups, posters, spoons, knives, forks, my own jet. CM Punk the movie! And the reason it's funny is because all I've ever really wanted is this little microphone. See, this, this is power. I am the voice of the voiceless. Do I have everybody's attention now? In anybody else's hands, this is a microphone. In my hands, it's a pipe bomb. I'll kick you in the nuts and you'll smile at me and like it and show me some respect. You're one of the biggest bullies I have ever met in my entire life and you will apologize. Apologize. You will apologize and you. attention now. sorry okay i'm sorry what 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 i apologize you son of a
3: bitch fine speech you talk about hypocrites punk you're the biggest hypocrite of them all you are cm punk
2: the hottest property in this wrestler. industry
3: today you beat your own drum but in the path of doing things you want to do you've lost sight of everything
2: i've lost sight you are the one that's lost, sight. that's lost sight. I am the underdog, and what you are is what you hate. You're the 10-time WWE champion. You're the man. Ladies and gentlemen, the champ is here. You, here. like the Red Sox, are no longer the underdog. You're a dynasty. You are what you hate. You have become the New York Yankees. Do I have everybody's attention now? Sunday night. Say goodbye to the WWE title. Say goodbye to John Cena. And say goodbye to CM Punk. CM Punk walks out this championship. Yeah. Do I have everybody's attention now? Now, 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 now,
1: now? Julio, you gave me fortune. You gave me fame. You gave me power in your own God's name. W- I'm every person <laughs> you need to be. Oh, I'm the cult of personality. Oh. <laughs> you knew that's where it was going. I had to, I let off with the cult of personality last time. So Yeah,
0: but it's it's been a while I don't have the song playing right now. So this is I see, I'm listening to this uh before post production. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> coming in cold. That was a song on Guitar Hero, right? One of the first oh, ones. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Kill it. But, you know, it sounds different when your co host is just reciting it as poetry.
1: Yeah, fucking slam poetry <laughs> of uh, living color here. Well, hello. I'm Alex. The sultry Peruvian sounds you hear on the other side of this is Julio. We are the Contrarians. Uh, we are firmly in Scots. We're actually dead center. We're coming to you in the middle, part three of our five part mini series. It's a retrospective, a 10-year retrospective on The Rock versus John Cena, Once in a Lifetime. Of course, the biggest, most money-making match in professional wrestling history that took place at uh, WrestleMania 28, Miami, Florida, April 1st, 2012. The first two episodes have been patron exclusives. We're bringing this one to you for free. So if this is your first time listening to Contrarians for any reason, much appreciated. Welcome. You can catch parts one and two on our patron page, which will Uh, get to and plug properly here shortly from the the jump uh, I wanted to be sure we did one of these episodes for free and uh, the thought was we were going to do the first one initially and then the rest would be patron um, exclusives but I felt one dead center is good uh, to kind of give people a taste of what they can expect both in the first half and the second half and then also I felt uh, the subject matter here was good for you know Maybe enticing new listeners or giving people kind of an idea of what exactly it is we're doing here, uh, but also varying outside of the fucking title of what we're doing. This isn't about The Rock or John Cena. This is about CM Punk. This is about a man who honestly, when you reflect upon 10 years later, the rivalry of The Rock and John Cena leading into WrestleMania 28 and the, the fallout, the aftermath of that. You can't tell the story without talking about CM Punk. And if you're doing it truthfully, you can't tell the story without almost making CM Punk the third character in this. <laughs> uh, he he played a very, very big part in um, what happened in the buildup. He played a very big part in carrying the WWE into WrestleMania 28. And then uh, when we uh, eventually get to part five, the fallout, Oh, you, there's a lot that CM Punk had to do with the fallout of WrestleMania 28. So, Julio, you are here once again joining me uh, as you've uh, indulged me, (laughs) dipping our toes into the world of wrestling. But still, I've made sure to uh, parallel that with the respective film careers of um, our participants here. So, so far we've covered, what have we covered? We've done The Rundown, (laughs) The Marine, uh, The Reunion, Fast Five, and uh, here a little bit later today we're gonna to be discussing Girl on the third floor. So we I love have... how that's
0: that's that's your way of throwing me a bone as if I'm watching these masterpieces of cinema.
1: hey, we we liked uh, fast, fast five. five. <laughs> that's it. And we got some Ethan Embry in our life in the reunion. Yes. So it so far has not been uh, an embarrassment of riches. It's not like our um what's been like our best arc in terms of film
0: quality. I mean, The Summer of Travolta will always be the first one, and I think that that's, that's an easy reference.
1: That one, our Winona Ryder arc, uh, gave us a lot of really good movies. We also had to watch fucking Wild Hogs for The Summer of Travolta, so it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> but quickly, yes, if this is your first time listening to uh, The Contrarians, I'm Alex. That's Julio. We are the thecontrarians.com. This is completely outside of the typical formula of what we do um if you want to listen to us discuss movies which i highly encourage you to do so that's kind of our bread and butter and where we put in the uh, our work um head over to wearethecontrarians.com you can find the contrarians on any of your uh are they called podcatcher services that's what the kids call them these days okay uh we're on twitter at contrarian prime where you can find parts one and two of our mini series here on The Rock versus John Cena, the 10 year retrospective. It's patron.com slash contrarian prime. We have $1, $3, $5, and $10 tiers. The $1 tier will get you access to all the material pertaining to The Rock and John Cena, uh, including some alternate commentary tracks we did on some of their matches, as well as a full retrospective on WWE films, which was eye opening in no good way. Um, so. <laughs> Going over to our Patreon. Like I said, the $1 subscription will get you access to all this good stuff. Uh, and then check out our higher tiers if there's more, um, if you like what you hear and you want some more of it. And if you have any questions uh, and don't feel like reaching out to us on Twitter, you can always reach us at wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. So with all that out of the way, what has brought us up to date thus far? The Rock returned to the world of professional wrestling in 2011 uh, to be the guest host of WrestleMania 27. Cross paths with that dastardly John Cena. They just couldn't contain the ferocity and just raw primal aggression they had. They were just clashing forces in every sense of the expression. And The Rock has challenged John Cena to a match in the main event of WrestleMania 28. On our last episode, we recounted the build, the year that was 2011, from the perspective of The Rock and John Cena, trash talk, the crosswords they had along the way, as well as discussing uh, their tag match from the 2011 Survivor Series, subtitled... Um, Never before, never again. That's what it was called, the the tagline of that. (laughs) So we're going to restart the year of 2011 here for part three, because like we said, today's subject is one Phil Brooks, as he's introduced in the the movie we'll be getting to here shortly. Uh, CM Punk, a main player in the world of professional wrestling to this day. uh, Julio, when I was probably 15, 2003 or 4, when uh, my family first got high-speed internet, That, as I'm sure you can attest to, that has nothing to do with being a wrestling fan. But that's like a game changer when you have high speed internet. You know, Roadrunner was the service we got at the time. It just opens up a whole new world of like music downloads, emulators, all this shit. And one of the biggest things that it opened up for myself as a wrestling fan was just you know Kazaa and getting to download these Japanese matches. You know, with fucking Hayabusa. You know, all the names you regularly hear in terms of like internet fandom onita liger uh, and so there was that side of it and there was also just the ability to kind of just browse that wasn't there before dial up was like you just need to know where you're going and get it done <laughs> especially as like a 14 year old boy you need to know where you can go to get those pictures to pop up the quickest before and just your, your mom
0: uh, picks up the phone and yes
1: you. exactly nothing worse than like the the nude is about to render and clarify and then someone <laughs> you get booted off your connection it's the worst but so the ethernet was connected and i had the ability to browse the internet in a way i hadn't before and that led me to many different forums about wrestling wrestling fans and i'm not being hyperbolic or really trying to be over dramatic but getting into that world changed my life as a wrestling fan and just kind of forever learning that there was something beyond WWF, WCW, ECW. The only real independent I knew at that time was defunct by then. It was called XPW. And that's because they came on like a public access network where I lived in Ohio at like 2 in the morning on Saturdays. So I just didn't really have that much knowledge of wrestling outside of the you know the mainstream, as they say. So getting into these forums, it was like, what in the fuck? <laughs> and you know everyone's got like these avatar pictures and signatures of these guys that you you've never seen before, and it was it was like seeing new colors I had never seen. And there were three people that on these forums everyone was talking about. Uh, it was Sick Nick Mondo, who by two thousand three, early two thousand four, had already retired, but he was like this deathmatch legend, um, who. You know, you find clips of he took like there's a clip of him where he took a weed whacker to the stomach in a match. And that, you know, that kind of blows your mind as a 15 year old. <laughs> uh There was Jack Evans, who was this kid from I'm pretty sure he's Canadian Uh or from Washington State. Anyway, had like a, a, a kind of white rapper gimmick, but and he was this small dude. So I remember like when I f- saw pictures of him, like, what the fuck? But. When I was finally able to get like highlight videos of his his athletic ability and the shit he could do was just unlike anything I had ever seen before to the point where it just kind of rejected everything I had learned about wrestling up until then. and it was just <laughs> kind of this thing of like no, I I can't handle this. And then third was CM Punk. Uh, everyone wanted you to know who CM Punk was. Any wrestling fan worth their weight and fucking internet cred wanted you to know who CM Punk was almost positive the first video i saw of him was one of his most legendary promos that he cut on raven um he's a bloody mess and just he cuts this promo about how raven he's born of your poison poison society and he'll become a monster to fight the monsters of the world
3: nothing stops me and before you cut me off Raven, the reason I hate you, the reason in my heart of hearts why I hate you is because I didn't know any better when I was a little kid. When my dad came home smelling like beer, I thought it was a hard day's work he was doing. I didn't realize he was out at the bar. I didn't realize work meant unemployment office. I didn't think it was strange for somebody to come home from work and have to take an old style up into the shower while they showered. I didn't think it was strange for somebody to pass out. I thought an old style, a pack a day was the norm. Raven, my father is exactly like you. And since day one, we honor. We're fighting spirit is supposed to be revered. Things aren't supposed to be this way. I'd shake your hand like a normal man, but see, the truth is I don't respect you. I hate you. I hate you for everything you've pissed away, everything I scraped and I claw for that I haven't even earned yet, that you got handed to you, and you fucked down a toilet for what? For pills? For booze? For alcohol? For women? I am born of your poison society. So on the 17th of July, I will become a monster to fight the monsters of the world. And your time in Ring of Honor will be done. And that is a promise because this is true. This is real. This is Stray Edge.
1: And just his look. Uh, was for 15, 16-year-old me, I was like, oh, my God, this dude looks really cool. He had, like, long bleached bon hair, had a lip piercing, all these tattoos. His gear he wore is, like, now kind of cringey because it's so turn of the millennium. You know, it had, like, the Misfits logo on it or the Spitfire Skateboarding Company logo on it, but it was, like, these basketball shorts. And it was, he just was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And when I started watching him wrestle, I was just like, I need to see everything about this guy that I can find. (laughs) So getting into ring of honor, which was his home base at that point in time and getting my first, like, I remember the day I got my first package from ring of honor. Like it it was, it's now these things we, you know, wax poetic about and look back upon like, you know, the greatest of memories, people on my Twitter timeline and such of, The old days when you would get a package from Ring of Honor and, you know, it had five DVDs in it or, you know, whatever, because the the Internet was powerful, but there was no streaming and these things weren't live. So you just read about it and then had to wait until these DVDs came out. You could order them and get them at home and watch them. The first package I ever got was Weekend of Thunder Night 2 which punk teamed with uh his trainer Ace Steel and they took on Generation Next in a street fight and I it was a CM Punk t-shirt that was the first package I ever got from Ring of Honor it says straight edge on the front like his tattoo and then on the back in old english says CM Punk so, wait, so thing- what
0: what year is this
1: this would have been 2004 or early 2005
0: so what's happening in mainstream like when you're cuz this is your like internet like obscure wrestling that you're looking through but in the in the mainstream, who's like who's the guy? Is there a guy uh,
1: in the world of it's Triple H? Uh, he's always the guy. In late two thousand four, yeah, it was just television dominated by Triple H. So this time period I'm referring to is right before the transition we discussed on the first episode to Batista and John Cena. Okay, so things are kind of in flux in the WWF right now. There's it was Triple H and. JBL, God, what a bleak timeline. Uh, (laughs) But you were still watching it, right? Of course. Okay, I'm a a fucking junkie. (laughs) Professional wrestling is a disease. And especially at that point in time, I needed my fix every Monday night. I was not watching SmackDown, which I call out in the the first episode. But every Monday night, the show would start with Triple H talking for 20 minutes about how he's the best. And I would just be there lapping it up. But (laughs) so began my thing of these guys in the WWF aren't the best wrestlers, the best wrestlers are over here. And, you know, it's not just punk. That's where I, you know, at that point in time, ring of honor, it's unfair how ridiculous their roster was at this point in time. And these are names that mean nothing to you, but like AJ styles, Brian Danielson, Samoa, Joe, Christopher Daniels, low key homicide, the Briscoes, their roster at that point in time could be put up against from a talent perspective, not a drawing perspective, but from just a pure talent, bell to bell perspective, any roster in the history of wrestling and could hold its own you know fucking roderick strong austin aries all these guys punk becomes this huge underground star and in many ways that's still what he wants to be i think the trappings of success were something that he might not have been completely cut out for on the off chance that you know he has a very passionate fan base, so on the off chance that people are listening to this just because it's CM Punk in the title, I got to be careful and choose my words wisely.
0: Oh, I don't I know that we we're gonna be able to do that once we get to talk about the movie, man.
1: Uh, yeah, that that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> no, I like if I just said like Vince McMahon was right about everything and CM Punk's wrong, you know, our <laughs> uh, mentions might get ugly. But jesting aside, CM Punk. Became a professional wrestler in the year of 1999, worked his way up through the independent scene, specifically IWA Mid-South, before eventually getting a ring of honor. This underground presence, he kind of grows and becomes, you know, the talk of the town, the cock of the walk. And this eventually leads to him getting signed to the WWE in 2005. Now, he being, you know, smart and savvy as he is, he kind of leveraged it to extend his run in Ring of Honor, because it was the thing of everyone thought they knew he signed to the WWE, so he kind of pulled a, a bait and switch on him, and as they say, turned heel, to kind of get this long run out of uh, the last few months of his his last few months with Ring of Honor before reporting to WWE. To give you an indication of like, what he did like that was so dastardly, he signed his WWE contract on the Ring of Honor world title, which is like the most heinous act anyone could do at that point in time. <laughs> he gets to the WWE eventually. Uh, there is no NXT at that point in time, so he reports to what was known as Ohio Valley Wrestling. Uh, and part one, I call it, that's where John Cena went to kind of get his acclamation and training for uh, the WWE. Julio, this was a different time in that um, the past five to six, even seven years of wrestling have embraced the idea that guys were somebody before they got to the the WWE mm-hmm. uh, AJ Styles being one of the greatest examples when he debuted in 2016, all they did for his first few appearances was talk up all of the accomplishments he had coming into the WWE. You know, he was IWGP champion. He, blah, blah, blah. he did all this shit. He won these awards, won these titles here. And back in CM Punk's day, that did not exist. Yeah why would anyone be famous before they got to the WWE? You know, that's the Vince McMahon thing of like, no one matters before they get here. And even more so there are examples, a gentleman by the name of Shane Douglas. There are examples of Vince McMahon signing people to his company to prove a point. Shane Douglas was probably the hottest, you know, quote unquote, independent wrestler in 1994, 1995, Vince McMahon signed him, gave him a god awful gimmick, jobbed him out on TV a bunch, and then fired him, basically just to show, you know, the expression he, he's, um, uh, how does the expression something to the effect of like they're going to be right no matter what? That that's Vince McMahon always. <laughs> he <laughs> you know he, um, be it putting the belt on Daniel Bryan, uh, more specifically putting the belt on Rey Mysterio, he didn't want to and he was going to be right in the end and by that i mean he looked like an idiot booking wise and he ended up just losing it like a like a schmuck so what happened with shane douglas kind of always stood as like the the shining example of independence don't matter and nothing you do before the wwe matters and if you think you're hot shit or if people act like you're hot shit i'll sign you and prove you're not so the reputation shane douglas had coming in multiply that times like five or ten, and that's kind of what CM Punk was at because the internet was more perva- pervasive and people were much louder. So CM Punk gets to OVW and eventually to the WWE, and there's just like a target on his back from day one that we're going to make this guy a fucking schmuck. This is what happened with Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson when he came in his first few months there. They just jobbed him out to everybody. You know, Brian Kendrick, Paul London, there are other examples of guys that they brought in just based on hype just to see you know you're it huh we'll do what we want with you Brian Kendrick I remember getting like murdered by Brock Lesnar on an episode of Smackdown and Punk comes in has this target on his back what makes it even bigger is Paul Heyman who's one of the guys that's running Ohio Valley wrestling at that time sees a lot in him and like uses him in his developmental territory like a big star and fights for him and one of the biggest things was he kept the CM Punk name which to this day is crazy and is a big reason that a lot of guys aren't going to keep their name when they come in because the thing Vince McMahon hates is the idea that you come in, one, that you're already somebody, two, that you make a big name for yourself when you're there, and then you can take that name elsewhere, and then three, that you've had that name the entire time, so your career kind of goes beyond the bounds of the WWE, but that was part of Heyman's thing. He fought for Punk. He got to keep his name CM Punk. There you go. He Chicago gets brought- Made Punk? Yeah, good one.
0: Oh, I saw Uh, the signs. (laughs) They were holding signs that said that.
1: To be fair, it's never been directly established what CM stands for. Uh,
0: Oh, this is all fan theories? It's not canon?
1: Exactly. It's the end of The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, (laughs) I remember in the old forum days being a noob and be like, well, what does CM stand for? And someone explained that, the belief is that it was Chick Magnet when it started because he was like 17 or 18 when he started wrestling. And so that probably would sound cool at that time. But I know he's said it means other things like Cookie Monster or um, Charles Montgomery, a la Mr. Burns, Charles <laughs> Manson. So it's the, the Joker origin story. It, it changes depending on the day. Uh, but Chicago made is one of the the more followed theories. He gets called up to what was then known as ECW. It was uh, basically what NXT is today. Paul Heyman's running it. Heyman wants to use Punk as a big player. Starts going well. Paul Heyman has a falling out with Vince McMahon, specifically Stephanie McMahon. So Punk kind of doesn't fade into obscurity, but it's kind of left there to figure things out himself. Eventually begins working on, I believe Raw was the show he landed on, but the first few years in the WWE are kind of bumpy, and people are wondering, you know, when's the the, sh- the other shoe going to drop with him? Because a lot of people expected it to be that Shane Douglas thing of they're going to come in and make him stupid and make him look dumb and deplete his value and then send him back to Ring of Honor or whatnot. Um, but that wasn't the case. One, his physical presence and charisma and his ability to get people engaged in his matches is extremely strong. And then two, I mean, what he's known for is his interviews and his ability to talk. I think they leaned too hard into his straight edge character. So Julio, that tattoo, that half circle across his stomach says straight edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I chortled in watching Girl on the Third Floor because there's scenes where he's like drinking beer and he's loudly straight edge, does not drink or smoke. And that was when I first started watching him back in high school, that was his thing of... He was a heel who proclaimed, you know, he was a straight edge and we were all weak for needing beer or cigarettes or weed or, you know, what have you. And straight edge means I'm better than you was his catchphrase. And then when he got to the WWE, they started him with that. But he was like a good guy. He was like, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I'm better than that. I think his thing was my addiction is competition. It was just. It was like the most Vince McMahon interpretation of that gimmick possible. It was was (laughs) tremendous.
2: Don't let these tattoos fool you. I'm straight edge. I'm a man of great discipline. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. My addiction is wrestling. My obsession is competition. Discipline. My name is C M Punk.
0: But this is it is just a gimmick or is that was he straight edge? No, yeah, he's he's
1: definitely straight edge. Really? Yeah. It's one of the top things people like say about him and you watch a bunch of interviews with different people, shoot interviews as they call them be like is that a worker is he really straight edge? Like no, that's that's really him and according to everyone that's ever met him, that's that's his deal. You know, in the Tribute to Minor Threat, the band who kind of pioneered that idea and movement. You know, if you're straight edge, though, you get to call it out all the time and make sure people know you think you're better than they are. So that's, <laughs> that's definitely something that fits the, the personality that I've come to know of CM Punk. He wins a couple titles here and there and becomes a staple of the show. He goes through these different iterations, and it wasn't really until he'd lost his hair that I remember really paying attention again. His first few years were when I was in college, which is like the most out of the loop I've been with WWE since I was like fucking seven. Uh, Cause I just didn't watch it when I was in college, I would watch like a couple pay-per-views a year, but I just did not keep up with it. But I remember when I started to kind of get back into it, when college was over was when he lost his hair He was in a hair-versus-hair match and got his head shaved, and that's kind of where things started to turn the corner for him in terms of them presenting him kind of higher up the card. He became the leader of a group called The Nexus, and that's what kind of brings us into 2011. He starts the year as the leader of this heel faction, you know, kind of just your typical sinister bad guy. He has all these dudes do his dirty work for him, so he never really has to get his hands dirty. Uh, He goes into WrestleMania 27, the... Event that John Cena and The Miz very unlikely main evented. And he has a match with Randy Orton that was probably the second best match on the card or first best. Depending on who you talk to, has a rematch with Randy Orton the next month and then just kind of wonders about the card for uh, about a month or so. All the while, it's kind of percolating behind the scenes and on the Internet uh, that his contract is coming up and he hasn't renewed yet and so that's the type of thing of like speculation begins you know dave melzer's covering it day and night breaking breaking into your uh, <laughs> news programs whenever necessary of a, an update and so they kind of turn that into a storyline of cm punk becomes the number one contender to face john cena for the wwe championship at money in the bank in chicago illinois and he lets known that on july 17th which based on everything i've ever researched that was the legitimate day that his contract expired so it was just the kind of thing that works out perfectly uh, so about a month out before they turn it into a storyline that hey my contract's coming up and i'm leaving here and i'm going to take the belt with me after i beat john cena yada 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 and this entire time again this is based on everything i've ever read and you know podcasts i've listened to and the research i've done he legitimately did not resign until the 11th hour. So the build to this was all kind of real. And it didn't get too much more real than on the June 27th, 2011 installment of Monday Night Raw where CM Punk <laughs> delivered what is now known as the pipe bomb promo. And I don't know of many more important promos that have happened since then. Or, is, this, you know, his,
0: is this the one I watched?
1: The Where he's sitting at the head of the stage. He comes in and attacks John Cena and then goes up and sits down and vents and- his frustrations.
0: Yeah, when he says, oh, I'm breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. yeah, for some
1: reason I knew that would be one of the things that you popped for. <laughs> <laughs> to give you an idea of how historical it is, if you Google CM Punk pipe bomb, uh, it pops up like the date at the top of it in like bold uh, font. <laughs> like fucking, like it's D-Day or something. Like if... <laughs> Like, if you Google D-Day date, it would do the same thing. It has the date bolded at the top with two pictures of it. It was on June 27, 2011, when CM Punk delivered one of the most memorable promos in the history of world wrestling entertainment. It's come to be known as the Pipe Bomb promo. And while he did many other great promos in his career, that's one that people will associate with him the most. Which is true. CM Punk's probably done interviews and promos that I've enjoyed way more. Um, But this like made him. Who remember on the second episode where I referenced when the rock challenged John Cena how my phone just absolutely blew up. Mm-hmm. Uh this was another one of those instances of I was at work at Cinemark threading prints and then like my phone just started going fucking nuts and I was like what the hell? And everyone's like you got to you got to see what Punk said on Raw. And so it caused quite a stir and you know it had been a while since I actually watched that whole segment. Before we did this, I have my issues with CM Punk uh, that we'll get to eventually, but it's one of the biggest moments of the past 20 years in wrestling. And it was all from a place of he had had frustrations with Vince and writers wanting to script his promos every week. And so they said, go out there and talk and say what you want to say. And eventually, you know, we'll cut you off and then the show will end. And rewatching it, that was the thing of like. Anytime Raw ends, it's always, What a night. We'll see you next Monday. And then the little <laughs> signature appears at the bottom that says, you know, WWE copyright 2011 or whatever. And then it fades out. This, it just like the audio cut and then they just cut to black and then it just ended. And it felt. So different, and it it begins to blur that line of I know the shit's fake, and I know that they must have been okay with some of it, otherwise they just would have you know cut his mic from the beginning, that type of thing, right? But he said things he wasn't supposed to say, and then for like fans like myself, like the hardcore you know internet fans as they call them. Just those things he said that you know all these feelings that we have and all these words and names that he was saying that were like you're not supposed to say that. It was just like fucking catnip for us, man. You have been learning on the job since we started this about wrestling and its universe and whatnot. I don't expect that you would enjoy this as much as the smiling John Cena owning the Rock on the microphone, but just your initial thoughts here on CM Punk's uh, legendary pipe bomb promo.
0: Well, the the main thought. That just carried me through the entire thing, was, and I don't want to jumble our timeline too much, but my main thought was like, where was this guy when I was watching Girl on the Third Floor? Because he was captivating. <laughs> I and I didn't have like any of the backstory. It was uh uh, even dude, because you gave me you know the. The timestamps and the first timestamp that you gave me for for this moment, it actually it was off. I don't know if it was like my my streaming or what. But so when I went to like the point where you told me to start, it literally started the 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 speech. Like so, I didn't even watch the match, and I mm-hmm. it, and I was like, "What the fuck's going on?" <laughs> And then at some point I realized was like there's no way that this is how it's supposed to start. Like you know, this is like the end of it. So then I went back and I watched the match, and then I, and then I got to speech again. And this time I finished it, but it was very, you know, it was captivating. And I did I shared that kind of thing that you were talking about. We were like, I know this is planned. It has to be planned, but it feels very real. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it is uh the high point of my cm punk experience <laughs> 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 which is very limited obviously i don't yeah uh, you know it's just a couple of things that you made me watch
1: yeah and that's that's it it was when that happened it was just kind of like what the fuck is going on so yeah julio i have the transcript here and i figure i would just go through it and break down some of my favorite parts of it john cena while you lay there hopefully as uncomfortable as you possibly can be i want you to listen to me I want you to digest this before I leave in three weeks with your WWE championship. I have a lot of things I want to get off my chest. I don't hate you, John. I don't even dislike you. I do like you. I like you a hell of a lot more than I like most of the people in the back. I hate this idea that you're the best because you're not. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. There's one thing you're better at than I am, and that's kissing Vince McMahon's ass. You're as good at kissing Vince McMahon's ass as Hulk Hogan was. Now, Hogan was working in a different company at this point in time, so he was like persona known grata once again. Uh, And I just love the idea of fucking Hogan, how insecure he is. You know, his Google alerts going off. And (laughs) CM Punk, you know, it's like fucking 7.45 in the morning, and he's in his hotel room and his phone rings. Phil, you know, he would say, yeah, it's Punk brother what the fuck dude you got a problem <laughs> and you know the problem was that terry was employed somewhere else during this because you know he would have tried to get a match out of it he would have come in and been like yeah i heard uh, punk's talking about me dude you know and the whole thing would be he would win because that's cm punk john cena the rock All these guys want to act like they're master manipulators and politicians. Ain't no one ever been able to out-politic Hulk Hogan. Hogan would have come in and beat The Rock, John Cena, and CM Punk in the same night. That's what would have happened from that. Because he was the guy Vince could never say no to. You know, know, dude, I think it's really good if, if I would win and call it Hulk Hogan once in a lifetime, brother. I don't know if you're as good as Dwayne, though. He's a pretty good ass kisser. Always was and still is. And then, yeah, whoops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. Parenthetically, Punk waves to the camera. Or I guess it's a stage direction, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the best wrestler in the world. I've been the best since day one when I walked into this company, and I've been vilified and hated since that day because Paul Heyman saw something in me that no one else wanted to admit. That's right. I'm a Paul Heyman guy. That one sentence gave fucking Paul Heyman a second lease on life. You better believe <laughs> by the next week there were t-shirts that said I'm a Paul Heyman guy. Hats. pins. I don't. I, I assume koozies. Uh, Heyman was not Flushies. active in the company. Yes. Beanie babies that said Paul Heyman guy on them. <laughs> yeah, this would have been 2011 and that falling out he had was 07, I want to say. Maybe 06. But he was also kind of persona non grata because to his credit, he's like one of the only people that ever told Stephanie McMahon to go fuck herself, which he's a hero (laughs) in my mind for that. But you know who else was a Paul Heyman guy? Brock Lesnar. And he split just like I'm splitting. Brock Lesnar again at this point in time, it was 2011, so he would have just lost the UFC heavyweight championship Uh, and he wouldn't fight again after that until the end of 2011. But he was another one that, like in that weird world, it's so weird to think about now because Brock is the focus of the show. Uh, but at that point in time, he was—you, you know we don't acknowledge that he existed in this company, that type of thing. He—he uh, he was the youngest champion ever in the WWF. I think he was 24 when he won it, huh. and then he left, and then they had Randy Orton win it when he was 23, just so they could erase Brock's record, like. <laughs> W E is not the E stands for petty in WWE. <laughs> but again, like I that that more than anything else he said was like what? Cuz they I hadn't heard Brock Lesnar's name on that show in a long ass time, so that was surprising. Uh but the biggest difference between me and Brock is that my UFC career is going to go horribly. Oh no, uh I'm going to leave with the WWE championship. Uh, I've grabbed so many of Vincent K. McMahon's brass rings that it's finally dawned on me that they're just that. They're completely imaginary. The only thing that's real is me and the fact that day in and day out for almost six years I have proved to everybody in the world that I'm the best on this microphone in that ring. Even in commentary, no one can touch me. Yeah, that brass ring thing uh, is something we're still reeling from today. It's People still think it's so funny and cute to talk about Vince McMahon's brass rings. Yeah. <laughs> like the the rival company that punk works for now aew Mm -hmm. they they take it to such a literal extent and like a ha ha they have a match where it's a ladder match that you have to grab the the brass ring it's not funny (laughs) and it's yeah it's beating a dead horse i blame cm punk (laughs) (laughs) And yet, no matter how many times I prove it, I'm not on your lovely collector cups. I'm not on the cover of the program. I'm barely promoted. I don't get to be in movies. I can't remember which one it was that we talked about. He was supposed to be in one of the WWE films. Sad we don't have that in canon.
0: Wasn't it the um, one of the Marines?
1: It was either that or one of the, the 12 rounds movies.
0: I mean, he was, he was saving his star power for <laughs> something else.
1: For Girl on the Third Floor? Yep. I'm certainly not on any crappy show on the USA Network. I'm not on the poster of WrestleMania. I'm not even on the signature that's produced at the start of the show. I'm not on Conan O'Brien. I'm not on Jimmy Fallon. But the fact of the matter is I should be. God. I don't know if anything sounds more like hell on earth to me specifically than Conan O'Brien interviewing CM Punk. (laughs) I mean, besides Jimmy Fallon interviewing CM Punk, of course. <laughs> How
0: about me. uh uh oh fuck what's his name? Chris The guy from Talking Dead. You know what I'm talking about he was in um the prequel to Devil's Rejects.
1: Prequel to Devil's Rejects?
0: House of a Thousand Corpses. Yes. Chris I've
1: never, I've never heard that movie called the prequel to Devil's Rejects. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Chris Hardwick, <laughs> yes, Chris Hardwick. Okay, because uh, CM Punk was on a couple of Talking Dead's. He might have been more than a couple, but I know that I just know him from a couple of those. Like that was before I even knew who the hell he was. I just I remember the name. Like who the fuck is this nerd? <laughs> well, they they seem very impressed by by his presence. It was him and uh, surely well, Punk Community.
1: is v- <laughs> Punk is always very impressed by his own presence,
0: so that that works out. <laughs> well, Chris Harwick and, and Shirley from Community were just like in awe of him. And I was like, okay, I guess this is someone. <laughs> oh, that's the pipe bomb guy. <laughs> <laughs> is he going to break the fourth wall?
1: I'm gonna, I know now it's burned into my brain. I'm One day, you're not going to be around, and I'm going to call... <laughs> House of a Thousand Corpses, the prequel to Devil's Rejects, and just pop myself. (laughs) And trust me, this isn't sour grapes, but the fact that Dwayne, as he says in his Chicago accent, is in the main event of WrestleMania next year, and I'm not, makes me sick. There's much truth to that statement. Oh, hey, and let me get something straight. Those of you who are cheering me right now, you're just as big a part of me leaving as anything else, because you're the ones who are sipping out of those collector cups right now. Cut to a shot of me like in, on my couch eating Cheetos with said collector cup. You tell him, punk. <laughs> you're the ones that buy the programs that my face isn't on the cover of. And then at five in the morning at the airport, you try to shove it in my face so you can get an autograph and try to sell it on eBay because you're too lazy to get a real job.
0: So, so when you uh when you finally watch this, you know the first time, did that part rub you the wrong way, <laughs> or were you like, fuck yeah, you tell them.
1: Yeah, no, (laughs) because what he says here in a minute is exactly the truth. So the last part of that, the five in the morning, try to get an autograph thing. Uh I always thought that was kind of overstated. I always thought that was something of like wrestlers just not bitching, but kind of making a bigger deal out of something. than it actually was. And then I took that trip to Toronto for SummerSlam and my flight back to Texas was on a Tuesday morning. And they did Monday Night Raw there uh, also. I I didn't go to Raw, but all the wrestlers were still there. So the wrestlers from Raw, uh, a good amount of them, were at the airport when I was there at like 7 in the morning. And I witnessed with my own eyes, I watched these fucking guys that had like two-foot stacks of 8x10s walk up to Mark Henry at 6.30 in the morning and just like fucking fan them out like a deck of cards and just, you know... (laughs) And I just watched this happen and that exact line like came to me and I was like, man, he wasn't fucking lying. And, you know, you hear story, Sasha Banks, um, she's on the Mandalorian now, so there's a, a connection for you. But <laughs> she once talked about how once the Internet nerds figured out her real name, they would call airlines and ask when this passenger was getting in or whatever. So they'd be waiting like at her baggage claim to take pictures and like have fucking shit for her to sign and just do that, go and sell it on eBay. For me, like I'm not a creep. I have general cooth and you do too. I think we've talked about the whole thing with autographs can be kind of cool if it's organic or just like the mm-hmm. right situation pops up, that type of thing. I just can't imagine the gall of someone to do that. And you know, so in that part I get punk's frustration because that's a very real one and i've heard other wrestlers like in discussion like face to face talk about that and about how frustrating it is and so i can definitely see that it's it's a gross fan base honestly um at that same uh airport security was just backed up i almost missed my flight (laughs) i was actually like fingers crossed that i was gonna get stuck in canada because it's much nicer there but uh i was like at the security checkpoint and it was just like But to gut people everywhere and then like two stations over, you know, I'm there in a wrestling T-shirt, of course, was a Shane Helms. He wrestled as Hurricane Helms and I like noticed him, and we locked eyes at the same time and he pointed like to his shirt and then pointed at me and gave me like a thumbs up. And then, like, I nodded back, and then we both just kind of looked around at the chaos that was security and kind of had this moment where we both looked at each other and just kind of shrugged our shoulders like, what are you going to do about it, man? (laughs) And that is so much cooler to me than, like, if I had gotten Mark Henry's autograph, like, waiting for him. I get it, man. I get it, punk. Phil. And then this is why CM Punk is an amazing professional wrestler. In the next line, he says, I'm leaving with the WWE Championship on July 17th. He tells you the date so you know when to watch. It, nothing drives me more insane than a pro wrestler that cuts a promo and doesn't say the date of the pay-per-view. I know if you're in WWE and you're listening to this, we know we know all the Roman Reigns and all of them are listening to this right now. But uh, <laughs> I know you guys are told what to say. So just work it in. Tell us the date of the show that you're doing. And hell, who knows? Maybe I'll go defend it in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Maybe I'll go back to Ring of Honor. New Japan, of course, had a long and storied history working with Vince McMahon. Uh, They were back on the ascent at that point in time, but they weren't at the levels they've reached over the past decade. So I assume they would have been very happy to have CM Punk come wrestle for them. (laughs) And then just like when he said Ring of Honor, it was like, yes, yes, I know where that place is. (laughs) It's I, I I don't know. There's something I could equate to in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe for you, but I would mess up the reference. So
0: <laughs> try to think and about it. Uh, you would get annoyed. We're talking about a place, like I don't know. The first time that you see a uh, uh, Asgard was too early in the story. I don't know. Obscure references. No, see everything that comes to mind is spoilers for things you haven't seen that you might someday watch. Oh so. no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't want to ruin that for you, Alex.
1: Stage direction: Punk looks at camera and waves. Hey, Colt Cabana, how you doing? Uh, Colt Cabana was a wrestler for Ring of Honor, CM Punk's best friend, the guy he broke into the business with, and unfortunately, someone who will come back up uh, under not the best of circumstances. He's still alive, but the the story with Punk and Colt does not go. Does not have a happy ending. The reason I'm leaving is you people. Because after I'm gone, you're still gonna pour money into this company. I'm just a spoke on the wheel, and the wheel's gonna keep turning, and I understand that. And that goes back to what you said. That's my whole thing. If the company survived after the Chris Benoit thing, CM Punk leaving and saying all this shit ain't gonna change anything. And that's just we've learned, we've learned what the number is. It's hit the the point of the diehards, which is there's about 2.5 million people that still watch the WWE and they will watch it no matter what happens. <laughs> Their product right now is absolutely a fucking slow roasted dogs asshole. And there's still these 2.5 million people that watched every week. And my, fa- my favorite argument of the people that still defend the WWE is that when someone like me points out, you know, like 9 million people used to watch this every week. They say, oh, the way people watch television's changed. Yeah, that could attribute if you said, like, if it was, like, 6 million people watching now. But the idea that you lose 7 million people just in the, you know, those are the ones streaming. (laughs) But, But like he calls out here, Vince has figured it out because he still makes money, even with that just baseline of fans. Vince McMahon is going to make money despite himself. This dude's product's arguably the worst it's ever been. And fucking Peacock paid him a billion dollars last year for his video library. So, yeah, that's exactly correct. He's a millionaire who should be a billionaire. You know why he's not a billionaire? That is now incorrect. He is a billionaire now. (laughs) Because he surrounds himself with glad-handed, nonsensical, douchebag yes-men like John Laurinaitis, who's going to tell him everything he wants to hear. And that is absolutely true. Anyone who's ever recounted their tales of working with Vince McMahon is... It's like that skit on SNL from like the early 90s where Phil Hartman was uh, Frank Sinatra and he had Stephen Eadie that just agreed with him on everything he said. <laughs> You're right, Frank. Absolutely, Chairman. You don't
3: know what sense it is, Junior. Sense it is getting dropped by Columbia because Mitch Miller doesn't like the way your career is going. It's having million-dollar pipes and nowhere to play them. Am I right, Stephen
1: Eady? Yes, you are, Frank.
3: Absolutely, Frank.
1: You bet I am. Next issue, this crap with MTV, with the nudity and all. What is this crap? Sinbad (laughs) O'Connor. That's Vince, man. Anyone talks back or has a question about his reasoning, get the fuck out. (laughs) John Laurinaitis got a massive boner when this happened because he got to be a character on TV. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'd like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon is dead. But the fact is, it's going to be taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family.
0: So if I didn't know, Alex, that Vince McMahon is still alive, like I would have thought that this was a setup for like a big story arc. Like, like you know, the death of Superman. It's like the death of Vince <laughs> McMahon. Like, I, I, it sounded like they were planting it that way.
1: You want to know something sad? You're able to see into it so well. Um, they did do the death of Vince McMahon. In oh no! 2000, oh. In 2007, <laughs> so it the, already the happened. Story, oh, just buckle up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they did this RAW where Vince like did a promo and he pissed off the locker room, and then he went out. Oh man just telling the story and remembering all the parts of it and he like goes to leave the arena and he gets in his limo and as soon as he shuts the door the entire limo explodes
0: <laughs> oh so it's not just the death of Vince McMahon it's like who killed Vince McMahon
1: <laughs> yeah he, oh yeah it was Who Done it It was this big like long whodunit and like uh, if I remember like Raw ends like they still do the graphic at the bottom like <laughs> copyright titan sports <laughs> 2007 uh, but like it's just this flaming wreckage, and I, if I remember right, I think you can hear, like, sirens coming faintly in the background. <laughs> uh, and then they did this thing where they had, like, this candlelight vigil or some shit outside of Titan Towers in Connecticut. And, uh, like, fans came and brought, like, wreaths and shit and put it at the feet of the building. And are you ready for, like, the second worst part of this? <laughs> Future president of the United States. Oh, my God. Donald Trump called WWE headquarters to make sure Vince wasn't actually dead.
0: <laughs> On brand.
1: <laughs> now we get to the actual bad part of all this. <laughs> we get to June 25th of 2007 and Monday Night Raw is emanating in Corpus Christi. I think it's the U.S. Bank Arena. It's a really nice arena. It's right on the water there. And the selling point of Raw is going to be we find out who killed Vince McMahon.
4: (laughs) Was
0: it Maggie?
1: (laughs) What's the... Troy McClure. All summer long, everyone wanted to know who shot Mr. Burns. And then it turned out it was the baby. (laughs) Uh Okay. So Monday Night Raw begins, and okay, who who killed Vince? We're gonna find out. We open <laughs> on a shot of Vince McMahon standing in an empty arena with the microphone in his hand, saying, "Tonight we were uh, we were supposed to find out. He used some Vince word. I can't remember what it was. We were we're going to find out the uh, assailant or who killed the Mister McMahon character. However, in reality." Chris Benoit and his family were found dead today. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ.
0: <laughs> oh, my Again, God. Again, we laugh
1: so we don't cry. I, the, the Benny thing is obviously a fucking tragedy. But that that's like that's how the storyline of Vince dying <laughs> ended, was Chris Benoit actually murdering his family. Wow. So we never found out who did it. The... <laughs> It was, uh, I think a lot of people said it was supposed to be Ken Kennedy, who was this guy who turned out to be a total flop, but Vince had all his money invested in him. The main takeaway from that was Vince exploding in the limo and then just uh, what I regularly quote is the, however, in reality. (laughs) So, sadly, CM Punk was four years too late to the Who Killed Vince McMahon storyline. But... (laughs) Some prescient remarks, though, about his doofus son-in-law. We got like a five-year run of what it would look like if Triple H ran the company and did not go well. And yeah, anytime someone badmouths Stephanie, I'm cool with it. So there you go. Uh, Then let me tell you a personal Vince McMahon story. We do this anti-bully campaign, and then the microphone cuts off. He screams into the camera, I've been silenced. And then, like I said, it cuts to black, and it's over. The feeling around this was different. And as I discussed in part two, there was that constant throughout the year of 2011 of, man, John Cena and The Rock are going to be in the main event of WrestleMania. And then this thing comes along, and it's just like, holy shit, what's going on? At no point in time did I think this was going to affect the main event of WrestleMania. I I thought Mm -hmm. it was still going to be Cena and The Rock. But, you know, Punk comes along, and John Cena is incredible in this match. And this match wouldn't have worked the same if John Cena was not in it. CM Punk carried this entire storyline and this event on his shoulders. If I ever spoke to him, I would want him to affirm to me that he is very proud of what he accomplished with this. He has a very, very deep bitterness towards the WWE that we're going to explore and delve into exactly why in part five. But just for the purposes of this, this, the success that was the 2011 money in the bank is something no one can take away from CM Punk and something I hope he is very proud of. Um, Because he created this whole thing on his own, and we come into this, and it's like the hottest ticket in the wrestling world. Everyone's talking about it. No one knows what's going to happen. Personal story. On the day of this pay-per-view, a wrestling promotion in Austin called ACW, Anarchy Championship Wrestling, was running downtown. And a gentleman by the name of Chris Hero, who's one of my all-time favorite wrestlers, was on the card. And so myself, a friend of the podcast, Reed Lansford and my buddy john were like all right we'll go to this show we'll watch heroes match and then we'll come back and catch the the show um because basically acw was a very fucking weird company the way they booked their shows and it was usually always whoever the biggest name was wrestled like third or fourth hmm. so we go like bill preston and waynesville too so we go and it's closed so we go to this show we get there we buy our tickets we get in the ring's not there the ring truck got lost or something and so all the wrestlers are there and there's no ring should have just seen the omen at that point and turned around and left and (laughs) and so i keep assuring reed because reed like didn't really want to be there he just wanted to watch cm punk and so me and john like "It's, it's good it's gonna be good you know we'll just get some drinks and we'll be out of here before too long it's like fucking eleven thirty, and
0: we're <laughs> <laughs> there's it's, a picture. It's too late to back out. The, the, the way exactly,
1: because like Darren, the guy who books the company, threw me a fucking curveball and had hero main event, and so, <laughs> and his shows were so long. There's a picture I need to find sometime from that show, like around eleven, where. Reed just looks absolutely miserable. Like, he he looks so angry and resentful and just would, you know, put a toothpick in my eye if he could. But there's a happy ending to it. Uh, not the Chris Hero match because he lost. Anyway, so we get in the car. We just fucking speed back. and It's like, what are we going to do? We know the show is already over, uh, but we all turned our phones off so we didn't have mm-hmm. any spoilers. So we get back. And I hop on my computer, and I find some stream uh, that's showing the replay. And, like, I mean, we turn it on. It's in maybe the middle of the match right before it. So, you know, we got, like, ten minutes before Punk starts. So it's basically – we missed the rest of the show. It just goes right into that. Mm -hmm. And so we watched the match, but it was – god, in my adult life, there's not been many matches that I've reacted to like this and, and <laughs> not being live for, like, just watching at home. Like, it, wrestling felt real again. Wrestling, it felt like I was a kid and I wanted my guy to win and I didn't know what was going to happen because I really didn't.
0: Well, who was your so, guy, though?
1: Punk. Like, g- coming to this, like I told you, because, you know, Cena was – I had not come around on Cena yet. This was part of, like – the the Renaissance of understanding that John Cena is one of the greatest professional wrestlers that's ever lived was this match because you know you you need a dancing partner and right, not everyone right. can so
0: um so at this point you're also like you're still in awe of uh of Punk like you're yeah this enchantment doesn't come till much later correct okay. the
1: bloom was still <laughs> firmly attached to the rose <laughs> so we go to July. Seventeenth. Thank you, Punk, for reminding me of the date. Uh, 2011, the Allstate Arena in Rosemont, Illinois, formerly known as the Rosemont Horizon, uh, also a stop along the way in our last episode with, uh, with The Rock and John Cena's confrontations, reported attendance of 14,815, and the event drew a buy rate of just shy of 200,000 pay-per-view purchases, which was an almost 20% increase from the previous year. So what Punk did and what the WWE did to build this certainly worked and then the next year the buy rate went back down <sighs> this event is not just the main event and for the intensive purposes of what we're doing here we're going to talk about cm punk and john cena but this event in its entirety is recognized as like one of the all-time great events the opener actually saw daniel bryan win the smackdown money in the bank uh, briefcase uh, daniel bryan is someone who's going to come back up in our next episode as He plays a kind of uh, bit part in the the story around WrestleMania 28 in a really unexpected way. Uh, But Daniel Bryan won the SmackDown Money in the Bank briefcase. Kelly Kelly defended her Divas championship against Brie Bella. Mark Henry defeated the Big Show. Alberto Del Rio won the Raw Money in the Bank briefcase. Christian defeated Randy Orton and then coming into the main event here. Uh, the crowd the entire night was really hot, but they were consistently chanting for CM Punk. The Mark Henry Big Show match, they did some angle afterwards, where like, I think Mark Henry broke Big Show's leg, you know, quote unquote, and <laughs> Big Show's there like screaming, like, like trying to get sympathy, and the crowd just starts a deafening CM Punk chant, <laughs> like knowing that he's not going to come out, but just like, we're here to show our support. So it's main event time. Julio, did you watch the video package that played beforehand?
0: Yes, yeah the the previously on CM Punk's life.
1: <laughs> yeah, do I have everybody's attention now, yeah. now, now? Yeah, <laughs> I I kind of just wanted you to see that. There's we'll watch the one that plays before the Rock and Cena uh, on the next episode till we'll discuss that. But as you can see by this, the people they have that put these together are so skilled that it's just like <laughs> you can literally come into it with no context and then understand why they're fighting immediately.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: and for your sake uh one of the main reasons i wanted you to check this out was uh, to anyone that's listened to our rock triple h backlash 2000 commentary track knows julio is a big fan of physical comedian (laughs) vince mcmahon and boy is he on fire in this video package
0: (laughs) it's amazing i i think i told you right before we started recording the different haircut threw me i mean it's clearly him but I mean, this can't be, this is not much, like, this isn't many years after uh, the the match between The Rock and Triple H, but he... Eleven, yeah. Okay, well, okay, never mind, a decade. <laughs>
1: Still, he, like we were joking about, he aged like 30 years in that 10 years.
0: Yeah, he looks like like the dad of the guy that we saw in, the, in that match. And, <laughs> and the haircut is just... It's like a bad haircut. So he just, I don't know, he just looks like an old man that doesn't, not that he looked stylish before, but now he just looked, uh, I don't know, less impressive. Still, love the facial reactions, like the, the energy. <laughs> he didn't quite get into the ring, but he still managed to uh, pull off some of those uh, scare faces, like those close-ups where he just swallows. <laughs> <They're> like- <laughs>
1: And then the video package at the end where he tells John Cena, if you don't beat CM Punk, you're fired. But then they put like these demonic tones and <laughs> organ lines under it. So it's just, it's him screaming into the camera. It's ridiculous. CM Punk comes out to greet his disciples, his, the masses. And his entrance here, man, Julio, I know your experience with wrestling is limited to what we've done here. And, you know, maybe some video games from when you were younger. This this is like a defining moment in the history of pro wrestling is CM Punk's entrance here, how they come from the video package to the wide shot of the crowd. And you see people like even in the fucking last row of the building, stand up and start chanting CM Punk. And then, um, fuck. What was the song he was using then? This fire burns by kill switch engage was a song he was using at that time. Music hits the extremely rare happening in wrestling where the crowd reaction and energy is so heavy that the, the boom cam, the shot starts shaking mm-hmm. that's like I, and I mean rare like i can only count on one hand the amount of times i've seen that but i don't believe it's over dramatic to say that not many people in the history of sports or entertainment have had a moment like this in terms of like this huge performance that's been built to in your hometown and coming out to this reaction and just like the The level of emotion that's accompanied with it you know there's there's things in real sports that you can compare it to but i think this is one of those few moments that wrestling stands on a plateau with other forms of entertainment and sport because it's just something that can't be replicated they've tried many many times and (laughs) even punk's comeback is very cool for what it is it's not on the same level as this comes out and they give him his moment too they let it fucking simmer he gets in the ring and sits down and it's just you know him hyping up the crowd it's a great moment then john cena comes out and they chase him down the street with torches and pitchforks (laughs) were you surprised to hear how bad john cena got booed
0: no because they i i picked up early that there was yeah i I think that when he comes in they say like oh he's not in his home turf or he's on enemy territory or whatever I I figured out that was just part of the story, that he was against all odds. I guess because I didn't know, like, when I was watching this, because I wasn't really paying attention to the dates. So I was like, how far is this? Like, I didn't realize when I was watching it that this was the same year. Like, I know that, you know, he mentioned, uh, CM Punk mentioned uh, The Rock, right? And so, but I couldn't tell if that was like, he was referencing it as something that had already happened or something that was going to happen. You know what I mean? So I didn't know like if yeah. this is like John Cena pre or post once in a lifetime. I'm like, but he's still a good guy, right? Because CM Punk is clearly <laughs> yeah. a bad guy. But then but you have Cena technically on the side of uh Vince McMahon who's a bad guy. So I'm like, is he a bad guy in this one? <laughs> Am I supposed to be rooting for CM Punk? So I was just kind of letting it happen. And so I wasn't like Surprise! i was just like all right i guess that's how the story goes in this one
1: yeah it's definitely you know like a we talked about on the previous installments cena's reaction would always kind of vary where he went uh but this was like it was just a, a unique circumstance because yeah he was just hated they just wanted punk but even in the match you can hear the the kids and stuff are still really behind cena he has his, his fans so the shirt cm punk wears out was eventually uh repurposed and released wide and became one of the more iconic wrestling shirts of the past 20 years. Uh, the reason I say repurposed is the the one he wears has the date uh, of the show and the city on it. And brother, that is like the holy grail for collectors, man. That's one of the top tier shirts that is so hard to find. I remember like the the morning after that show, some of the people that had bought like an extra in Chicago, they were like fucking $500 on eBay. Uh <laughs> I, I don't remember the last time I saw one for sale, to be honest. A lot of times people, like the collectors I follow on Instagram, will post a picture of it and say, not for sale, personal collection. It was just a perfect night for CM Punk. Uh, Colt Cabana, his buddy, and his trainer, Ace Steel, were sitting in the front row. They're the guys when he goes over and leans on the guardrail when Cena comes out. Mm-hmm. Cena was in peak form. I just, I just love he comes out wearing the belt and doesn't pay any mind to the crowd he just keeps his eyes focused on the ring and hits the ring and he's just a proud defending champion and um he does some shit too that i don't know if john cena's ever done in other matches again these words mean nothing to you he does an abdominal stretch at one point which is not in john cena's wheelhouse he does a gut wrench bomb <laughs> it's uh you know julio this is regarded as uh, I've heard people whose opinions I respect call this the greatest WWE Championship match of all time. Um, it's regarded by anyone who really knows what they're talking about as easily like one of the top 20 matches in the company's history. Yeah, it would probably be Punk's best match and at least being seen as top three. Uh, after watching that Umaga match with you recently, I forgot how great that was. So
0: I was going to say, this one is not as bloodthirsty <laughs> as that one. No. Definitely not. I mean, you got to the point where he was choking CM Punk from behind, and I thought that maybe we were heading somewhere.
1: (laughs) He's got to take the rope off next. (laughs) It just had all the parts for a classic, and so the fact that it delivered—it's as a wrestling fan all you can ask for. I did take note around this time. Punk did it a couple times in his big matches. I don't know if you remember. There's a point. Where Cena's on the apron and he suplexes Punk to the outside and Punk just hits the floor like fucking horrendously (laughs) and just completely knocks the wind out of himself. Because like we talked about, those rubber mats are just over concrete Mm. or, uh, you know, like a basketball court. I noticed he did it right in front of his his friends that were there. So my immediate thought was, oh, he just did that to pop his friends because that's, you know, (laughs) that's what you do. You take horrendous bumps to make your friends laugh. The jackass generation. Um, but the match the the story of the match is punk trying to win he's trying to beat john cena and then vince mcmahon trying to ensure that cm punk doesn't win and then john cena is kind of this innocent bystander caught up in the vince mcmahon story because in the end what happens is um i don't know how much of this you caught vince tries to it's a fixed match already but vince tries to fix the match Mm -hmm. where he sends his lackey down to like ring the bell to end it uh and cena cuts him off because cena is a proud fighting champion he says you know this is my fight, not yours. I'm going to win it. Mm-hmm. The moment he puts his guard down is when he gets hit with the dreaded GTS, the go to sleep, and <laughs> gets pinned for the one, two, and three. And The crowd reaction in Chicago was just like the crowd reaction inside my house with the <laughs> myself, Reed, and John watching, just jumping up and down, losing our shit. Different. This match is definitely different than anything we've watched for this so far. Curious your overall thoughts. I mean, you're familiar with Cena at this point, your first Punk match, just Tell me what you thought about this, Julio. Um,
0: before I forget, something that I liked was that when Cena came in, like got on the on the ring, and everybody was clapping or booing. There was like a couple. Th- the camera went to CM Punk. At least I think it was him a couple times. and he was clapping. Okay, I thought that was cool because you know, yeah, it was a
1: nice touch. Yeah,
0: based on his rants and everything, I thought that he would just be all standoffish, but it just showed respect. Uh, the match itself, I liked it. I I told you I watched it the Previous match before his speech, and it's uh Cena versus uh R Truth. And yeah, I mean, we we kind of mentioned it on the was it the first episode when we talked about R Truth and uh The Miz being a, a team and yeah. and me not, not quite buying the the punches and the kicks, and uh, <laughs> it happened again. This <laughs> R Truth punches Cena. You know, and the quotation marks around punches are you know, <laughs> gigantic, and uh, so it was pretty awesome that then in this one, it actually looked like the 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 hits were connecting. Like the at some point, one of the commentators said that uh, CM Punk had like a martial arts background. Is, is that true, or uh, was that just you know? Color. I think he took karate when he was a kid. <laughs> he watched the karate kid a lot when he was growing up <laughs> anyway his kicks there was a lot of kicking and and most of those kicks looked pretty good so i like that and i like that there was a lot of grappling there was a lot of them like slamming each other against the floor the mat and then it was the thing of uh like you know it was going and then it kept going and then at some point i'm like okay this is running long and uh and then it kept going, you know, because they pin each other like 20 times each. And yeah. So it went from me going like, huh, what's going on? To me going like, man, this is dragging. To then me being just very, very entertained by the fact that it kept going. You know, it just went from annoying me to becoming a bit. And it's like, oh, it's just... Went full circle. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's, that's, that's the thing for this match that they just it will not end. <laughs> they look so tired by the end, it, like, you know, tired of the match itself that, uh, it, it won me over, like, that that whole thing. It made me a believer. And then, of course, you know, you get to the end, and I'm like, oh, they couldn't have, you know, uh, they gave CM Punk the win, but they had to kind of distract Cena. You know, it, it wasn't like a one-on-one. Yeah. I was talking to Dan and Caleb from Netflix and Swill when I was on their show talking about uh Cobra Kai and and, you know how like you know every season there's a tournament and it's stuff like that where you know win or lose there's always a some plot development that you can point to and go like, well, if this hadn't happened, then that other person would have won instead of lost. So really, we don't really know who the, who the real winner is. And, uh, and dad pointed out that I should tell you to watch Cobra Kai, at least the tournament episodes, because you will recognize the parallels with wrestling. And uh, <laughs> I wish I could remember like how he called it, like the term that he used with something like, uh, It wasn't like balancing the scales. But basically, you know what I mean, like to where 50-50 booking? Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's what he said. (laughs) The bane of my existence
1: as a wrestling fan?
0: (laughs) Is that just the bane of your existence because you just recognize it and it takes away the magic?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what's taken away the magic of wrestling in the modern era is like these guys lose. Like John Cena, he lost a fair amount. Like He was the first one, but he could get away with it. Steve Austin and Hulk Hogan, they never lost. That's what made them such big deals. And then they would... Okay, the crux of wrestling, professional wrestling, in a level that makes money and succeeds, is you take a guy who wins a lot, and then you take another guy who wins a lot, (laughs) and then they fight to see who the better man is. I'm pretty sure that's worked in boxing for fucking 200 years. And so... Now the idea is that wins and losses wins and losses don't matter, pal. It's about the brand. And so <laughs> what happens in the WWE now is these guys will wrestle each other fucking three or four times, and one guy will win and the other guy will win. And then just no one and what that does is it allows no one to matter and no one to become in the industry we say over. basically what what Vince McMahon wants to ensure never happens again is they get someone as big as the rock they don't want someone who's bigger than the brand who can then leverage the situation they kind of have that with Brock Lesnar right now where Brock's just like no I'm not going to do that uh, or no I'm not going to lose to that person that's the 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 whole insane intrigue of Wrestlemania this year is Brock Lesnar's wrestling Roman Reigns for the nine millionth time and Brock has never Put Roman over clean he's never Mm -hmm. actually lost to him and so we're in such a fucked up place with this business that is so simple it's CM Punk and John Cena at Money in the Bank 2011 that's what that's what people want but now where we're at is the main event of the biggest show of the year the intrigue is is this guy going (laughs) to lose a fake fight or not like the (laughs) Is this guy going to agree to lay down for this other guy to pin him? That's the intrigue. Where it should be, oh man, Roman and Brock. You know who's who's going to win? Who's the biggest badass? No one gives a shit about that. It's just, it, it's can Vince pay Brock Lesnar enough money to lay his shoulders down on the mat for three seconds? That's what fifty fifty booking has done to the WWE. So, Dan, I appreciate the call out uh, to the fault of it all. Anyway, Julio, what do you what do you think of Vince grabbing the headset afterwards and cut that music, cut it, cut
0: it? Loved it, loved it. I was I was afraid that that was it, that we're not gonna, you know, that uh, after seeing a punch the the guy, the flunky, that Vince was gonna kind of like disappear in the shadows. But no, he just stuck around till the very end and he tried something. I'd be lying if I told you I understood what the hell he was doing, but I understood yeah. that he was doing something, and yeah. and that it failed. <laughs> Like he called so, the reserves. He called like a guy that had won a match earlier in the night. There you go. And and so, the yeah. prize, the prize. So that guy. Okay, <laughs> this is gonna sound ridiculous, but that's this is what I understood. So this guy won a match earlier in the night, and doing great. Being the being the winner of that match gave him the special power, the ability to come into any match at any point and challenge the person that's oh on God. in the ring.
1: See, you get. <laughs> I love that you preface it with like it's probably ridiculous and dumbfounded, but this is what I took away, and it's exactly what it was.
0: <laughs> and then they, yeah. and, and then he wasted his superpower because CM Punk like laid him down and like what with one one kick or like I don't remember what he does, but he like knocks him down really quickly.
1: It's when you waste your V trigger on a uh, Street Fighter, like you you have it stored up and then. Your special doesn't, or uh, Mortal Kombat. You know when you double click the the bumpers, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. you had the the combo. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So he won the. I I could not have explained it any better myself, Julio. But he <laughs> he won the money in the bank briefcase, which means yes, at any point in time you can cash in for a a, a title shot. And he comes out and Punk outsmarted him, and Punk grabs the belt, and I'm not sure. There's been too many more memorable shots in wrestling since then of Punk blowing a kiss goodbye to Vince McMahon. And he heads up and he leaves the arena and complete shoot. He goes up the staircase there. He had a car waiting for him, uh, one of his friends from Chicago. He went out the door right there in the concourse in his gear, still sweaty with the belt, hopped in, took off, and went back to his apartment um, to make it look as real as possible. And in reality... Uh, <laughs> Punk had re-signed, according to Dave Meltzer and what I've read. Punk re-signed the day of that show. Uh, in reality, and so, however,
0: Punk <laughs> had re-signed.
1: What he should have done was just take the belt and fucking went and pawned it. But uh, he re-signed. He's back in the WWE, and so that's the thing. is watching as a fan at this point in time, because I know, I know Vince didn't just book a guy he do- who doesn't work for him to win the belt. So, the immediate thought is okay. Punk's still with them, but they've created this situation of where he's not. So I'm very interested to see how they pay this off. And they they peaked on the phone. Oh, they they yeah. peaked <laughs> in yeah. They peaked at Money in the Bank um, <laughs> because okay. To me, what I would have done, and they did like this just a little bit, CM Punk should have gone around to different independents and wrestled guys with the WWE title, and then in the WWE, they would have a tournament or something and crown a new champion and say, that's the real champion. Punk went and showed up at like one independent somewhere. Because Vince just has such an ego about him and such an unwillingness to work with others, it could have been the biggest angle in wrestling in the past, I don't even know how long, if Punk went to Ring of Honor, went to New Japan, went to fucking PWG, went to these promotions, all while under contract with the WWE. He doesn't have to lose. That's the whole point. He goes everywhere <laughs> and just defends the title. And then meanwhile, in the WWE, you get The Miz or, you know, fucking, ah, fuck, uh, who was big then? Rey Mysterio or someone to, to win the belt and... Then, at WrestleMania, or even draw it out even longer, they come together, and it's the title unification match. License Mm -hmm. to print money. (laughs) Instead, Vince's grand plan is, the night after this, John Cena doesn't get fired. Because, you know, that was one of the stipulations, if he lost, he got fired. Mm -hmm. What happens is... Uh, Vince McMahon is removed from power by the board of directors in the WWE because he sanctioned the match in the first place because he, he was so reckless in making that happen. And then the WWE does a, a one-night tournament, I think, to crown the new WWE champion, and John Cena just wins it again. And then the next week, I think it was literally two weeks, and then John Cena is like celebrating, and then Cult of Personality hits and Punk comes out. And it was just so deflating. It was just like... <laughs> like see that's what and rightfully but that's what no one talks about is the the immediate fallout of this one of the greatest angles and matches in wrestling history one of the extremely few nights you're proud to be a wrestling fan was was this and then the fallout is like an immediate reminder of oh yeah this is why this shit sucks uh they set up a rematch At SummerSlam, literally the next pay-per-view, champion versus champion, which should have run to the next SummerSlam. But anyway, Punk wins because then they have fucking Kevin Nash come out and jump Punk. And then Del Rio gets his superpower, his manners stored back up and he comes out and he beats Punk for the belt. Because the whole thing at this point is Triple H saw what was going on and he's like, whoop, whoop. Let's pump the brakes there, buddy. You got too much dip on your chip. I need to beat you. (laughs) And so CM Punk and Triple H wrestle on the September pay-per-view. Triple H wins. Otherwise, why fucking be there? And (laughs) (laughs) Punk's momentum and hype was not killed. People assert that this was like they killed it. And Triple H, believe me, did all he could to kill it. But... People still loved and believed in Punk, and it worked because at the November pay-per-view, yeah, Survivor Series, uh, where we talked about the Cena tag match, mm-hmm. the match before that, the, the co-main event, as they would say in the UFC, uh, Punk had his rematch with Del Rio and beat him for the WWE Championship and then would go on to have the longest title reign of the modern era. Uh, with the WWE Championship. He had it for well over a year. You know how I made allusion to Punk's bitterness towards Dwayne being Mm -hmm. semi-real? Reportedly, according to Urban Legend, after the match with Del Rio, which was one of Del Rio's better matches, because he, any wrestling fans listening to this know, Del Rio was not Monet as a professional wrestler. (laughs) Punk comes back and allegedly, like I said, says to The Rock, In complete sincerity, follow that asshole and walks by him. There's a lot about this story that I want to save to our fallout Mm -hmm. uh, because we need to finish the Rock Cena story before we get back to punk. Um, So he embarks on a history making title reign. And, you know, people remember the money in the bank. It was like the tale of two punks. It was that happened. And then he had this long title reign that just where in in some ways he became the guy. Um, But in other ways, it's the thing that fractured his relationship with the company and led to some very tumultuous times between the two parties that we're going to get to eventually. Uh, In January of 2012, Chris Jericho returns and begins setting up a program with CM Punk uh, as CM Punk would defend the WWE championship against Chris Jericho at WrestleMania 28 in the co main event of that show, going on before The Rock and John Cena. Uh, we will touch on that briefly in our next episode and then get to what came afterwards in part five. So, because of that, Julio, we're kind of going to freeze the two years of 2012 <laughs> and uh, 2014 for one Philip Brooks as we go, <laughs> as we jump ahead to UFC 181, a uh, night where Robbie Lawler famously hit the keystone of his MMA career and won the UFC Welterweight Championship. On that pay-per-view broadcast on December 6, 2014, CM Punk showed up and in an interview segment with Joe Rogan announced that he had signed a multi-fight contract with the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Julio, this was surprising for several reasons. (laughs) Number one, CM Punk was probably 35 at this point in time. (laughs) Uh, Number two, CM Punk had never competed in a real sport in his life. And he, you know, he probably did little league shit. I, I don't mean to belittle his <laughs> baseball, basketball, football, karate, whatever he did when he was young. That's fine. And also, CM Punk, for as amazing as a professional wrestler as he was, was a uh, a grinder. He did not have the raw athleticism of a John Cena, of a Dwayne Johnson. He didn't have the absurd body control of like a ricochet or a jack evans he he worked extremely hard to do what he did but he never showed like he he wasn't really a a born athlete and that's not a knock like i said he he was amazing at what he did but like comparatively speaking when you get down to the actual athletics that come into this it was just very surprising (laughs) and julio if you're curious yes he did compete in professional fighting as cm punk uh i've come this far as cm punk that's what people know i'm gonna stick with that i'm not shying away from it i'm not ashamed of it as was his response to the las vegas sun when they asked him if he would compete under his real name uh yeah you shouldn't be ashamed of it it's what made you a fucking millionaire (laughs) this whole thing was embarrassing uh for all parties involved I know there's people that will listen to this and say, well, at least he got out there and tried. And I've whenever people have come at me with that on Twitter, I respond. You pay me a million dollars. I'll get my ass kicked twice on TV. I I don't know if Dana White thought he had he was going to be able to make a star with this guy. I, I don't know why he would have. And what happened was just. A foregone conclusion in the most extreme sense of the expression. He trained for two years with Duke Rufus, and then he fought his first fight in the UFC. He's on the poster, he's on the program, it's in all the advertising material that CM Punk's gonna fight. And he fought this kid named Mickey Gall, who just absolutely destroyed him. And Mickey Gall is not like time has shown that he's just he's a tough kid, but I am pretty sure he's maybe like six and five six and four just kind of lost every other fight and he just comes out he immediately takes cm punk down to the ground beats the shit out of him (laughs) cauliflowers his ear in this fight takes his back and strangles him and cm punk taps out to punk's credit he could have just tapped out immediately he could have just said you know no moss but (laughs) he hung in there he defended the choke uh the first time and You know, Gall, it was just too much for him when it was over. I remember the crowd started booing and Mickey Gall said to the crowd, what do you think was going to happen? And (laughs) Bravo. When I say it's embarrassing, I don't mean that, you know, anyone should necessarily be ashamed because chase your dreams, all that shit. Um, and then on the other side of it, from the UFC perspective, hey, there's money to be made. It's not like the Buy rate or ticket sales did much of a noticeable difference because Punk was on the card. At the same time, I remember there were a lot of people, UFC fighters, that were pretty outspoken, Nate Diaz specifically, who just talked about what bullshit it was. This guy came in with a 0-0 zero and zero record, no amateur fights, no previous training, and got to be on like the poster and featured um, <laughs> on the card. And he's like... I remember Nate Diaz, I'm not going to do an impression of Nate Diaz, but if you know what he talks like, you can imagine. He just said, uh, like, can you imagine if I went to his world with absolutely no training, you think they're just going to put me in the main event of a TV show? <laughs>
4: and, and he's right. Look, dude, CM Punk is uh, it, it's horrible for the sport, as far as I'm concerned. Great for the sport. They're going to make a lot of money off of it. But I think it's a big old joke. I'm watching TV. I'm watching the fights. And, uh, and, uh, all of a sudden, this punk punk guy is coming on and slick back hair and a little puny virgin nose, and it's like he's gonna oh big big uh, announcement. Punk gets to uh, fight in the UFC. I don't I don't I don't dig it. You know he uh... he is got no fights. I know he's a big draw. I I looked him up and. Everyone's going to buy tickets. It's going to be great for the uh, venue and the uh, UFC, but same time, same time, it, it downgraded all the fighters, and everybody's acting excited about it. Congratulations, CM Punk, Come, congratulations, this guy's coming, but it's like, if I want to, I can't go, <clears throat> if I want to, I can't go playing the NBA, and even in the Street's big. He can't go play in the NBA if he wants to, because he feels like making a change for a publicity thing. They wouldn't pay him no money and they wouldn't even let him play. It's ridiculous. We're pros, right? Like, I don't think you should just let some millionaire WWE guy just come on over and uh, play a little game, uh, like have fun with his career. I'm over here busting my ass and fighting for 10 years doing my thing and having a serious job that I have to do for for this and and uh, you got this guy's gonna come over and probably get paid more than everyone in the room and then and then I don't know if he'll do well he might he might he might do great he might do but why does he get a chance he's an amateur you're gonna put an amateur in the pros that makes us all amateurs so I think it's ridiculous and uh, so as far as I'm concerned, f- him. F- the whole situation, and uh, anybody who takes a fight is tripping. They, they need to either get paid. Like, by all means, if you're getting paid out, fight that But everybody in the City, oh, I want to be your first fighter. I'm like, what are you even talking about? This guy don't get to fight me. You know what I'm saying? He's an amateur. Don't even put him in here.
1: Punk, I think he made, in, all, in total, somewhere around $1.5 million. It was the first fight, and then his second fight that he had, uh about two years later they put him up against a guy who it should have been an amateur fight and this guy just beat the shit out of him oh no uh, again yeah it to the point it, this guy wasn't very impressive it, it was a it went to a decision and like i said to punk's credit he hung tough and hung there till the end but this dude just molly whopped him and uh won a unanimous decision that was overturned like two years later because this guy tested positive for marijuana. So it, it got turned into a no contest. So CM Punk's official mixed martial arts <laughs> record is, uh, <laughs> zero one and one.
0: <laughs> that was something I was watching, uh, when I was watching the fight between Cena and, uh, Punk it's something that crossed my mind. It was like, how often does this happen? Like the, the match that, you know, goes on forever. And, uh, which led me to think, okay, how often does it—that's the opposite happen? Like the match that's over, like right away. And because uh, I'm like, that can't be very often, because the whole point is that I imagine that would piss people off, right? Like you, they're they're paying to go there and see people fight, and if if it's over right away, then it's like, yeah, it's cool because it's surprising, but it's also kind of you might feel shortchanged. I wonder if that was different, like when he was actually fighting. You know,
1: that was the thing, like in the world of. Real fights, boxing, MMA, kickboxing, that type of thing. With like the, the example of Punk, it was just like, like I said, it was two years of him training and coming in, and you know, making weight and going through the motions of being a fighter and all this stuff. And so, I think people just wanted something more to happen than did. And <laughs> I was I was with Mickey Gall of like, yeah, what do you think was gonna happen? Um, but you
0: still watched it like as it was happening.
1: Yeah, I didn't pay for it, but I watched watched it. I watched that pay-per-view. The main event of that was Stipe Miocic against Alistair Overeem for the heavyweight title, and I was far more interested in that. And with Punk, I just... I remember before it happened, I just posted on my Twitter a a gif of Vince McMahon putting his thumb down, and I I was just like, get ready, y'all. Because, you know, watching Mickey Gall fight, it's the type of thing of... It's not a point of pride that I've watched so much fighting that I can immediately pick up on things. Uh, It's just... Being a nerd about this shit is what happens. I remember watching Mickey Gall. He had two fights before this, and I could just tell by how quick he was and just his youthful athleticism, <laughs> and then watching Punk's like the videos of Punk training. I was like, this is going to be bad, and it was. Famously, at the end of that pay-per-view, after Punk's first fight, and recounting what had gone down, Joe Rogan, he said it was delusional for CM Punk to think he could come in and do it and he like he just cut this very level mannered promo on him about I was watching him hit the bags and watching him train and he just never got it it was he was never going to be successful in this you know he, he came out acting like a pro wrestler and then got in there and <laughs> this guy could really hit him and you know I just remember watching that when he said delusional I was like god damn Joe you don't have to be so cruel and,
0: <laughs> kick and the now, man when he's down
1: Five years later now, we know that being cruel is the least of our worries when it comes to Joe <laughs> Rogan. But uh, to answer your question, in real fighting, the idea of a fight going quickly, that I mean, that's what Mike Tyson was. That's why Mike Tyson was so fucking huge, because he knocked motherfuckers out in no time. He got out there. Michael Spinks knocked him out in 90 seconds. It was like the biggest heavyweight title fight in years. He got in there, clipped him, put him out cold. And, you know, in wrestling, it's a very, very delicate balance. If John Cena and CM Punk have gone out there and Punk beat him in like two minutes, people would be like, what the fuck? You have to give like <laughs> when you build something up like that, you have to give this this big crescendo, this big story that, you know, takes you on a ride. It's the journey. They they, they tell stories. It's Vince McMahon said in Beyond the Met. We make movies. But. There have been examples, Bill Goldberg being the most immediate one that comes to mind, of certain guys have this intangible <laughs> charisma that they can go in and have 30-second matches and the crowd will absolutely be losing their shit. Like, uh, I remember a pay-per-view years ago, five years ago now, where they did a Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg match, and going into it, everyone was like, what the fuck is this going to be? And <laughs> Goldberg beat him in like 90 seconds and everyone just completely lost their mind. It's a very very delicate balance when it comes to pro wrestling. But again, real sports. Conor McGregor won the UFC featherweight title. He knocked Jose Aldo out. Jose Aldo has been undefeated for 10 years. Comes in the UFC featherweight champion, Conor McGregor one left hand knocks him out in 13 seconds. Becomes the biggest star in the sport. <laughs> like it's I remember after that one my mom's like, "Weren't you mad you paid to watch that?" I was like, "Fuck no, it was awesome." And it's uh it's a balancing act. Speaking of balancing, Punk realizes that the no one else is getting on this teeter-totter for him in the MMA world. It's <laughs> it's just not going to happen. And again, say what you will, it didn't do any good for anyone except uh, Punk's bank account. That's all it did was Punk got paid somewhere around $1.5 million to train for two years and to lose two fights. I think it really damaged specifically the ohio state athletic commission that they sanctioned him to fight and the way the fight played out if he had been in there with someone who wasn't like a grapple heavy fighter i mean they obviously booked the the fight to be that right but if they had booked him against like fucking who's at welterweight like you know robbie lawler or even like on lower tier like, if they booked him against like fucking mike perry or someone like that donald cerrone he could have gotten really really hurt And the Ohio State Athletic Commission, I remember at the time, their rationale for sanctioning Punk to fight was he has an athletic background comparable to that of Brock Lesnar, which I cannot say any better than Tom Lawler did when he responded to that. He said, that is absolutely fucking ridiculous. (laughs) Brock Lesnar was an amateur wrestler. He was an NCAA heavyweight champion. And then, you know, real athletics. Punk, God bless him, never did any of that shit. He was a pro wrestler. And so coming into this, it. It just made everybody look bad. Well, he did some karate. Um, Yes. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, he he got his money. He got paid. And at the end of the day, bless him for that. I do remember when he signed the wrestling fans fantasy booking who he would fight. And I remember people wanted him to fight Michael Bisbing. And CM Punk may not be alive to entertain you in AEW today if they had booked him in a fight of that high level. (laughs) So we're lucky we are fortunate as fans and obviously he is fortunate that they didn't try to throw any more menacing opponents at him now during the course of his mma jaunt (laughs) uh, he did some writing for comic books he uh thor annual number one which was released in february of 2015 was partly partially written by punk Uh, He co-wrote The Most Cursed, which appeared in Vertigo Comics' Strange Sports Stories Number 3. He also co-wrote the uh, Drax series for Marvel Comics.
0: What year was this? uh, 2015. So Guardians had come out already.
1: Mm -hmm. Him and uh, Batista are bros, so I'm sure they got a a chuckle over that. Uh, He also wrote a one-shot of Marvel's Master of Kung Fu, which was published in November of 2017. He was keeping himself busy, man. At this point in time, Julio Punk is completely on the outs with professional wrestling. Mixed martial arts did not work out uh, the way he had hoped, I assume. Um, So it's on to something new and just trying to find a new path in life. And that consisted of acting as in 2019, a film by the name of Girl on the Third Floor by Travis Stevens was released and starred Phil CM Punk Brooks. (laughs) premiered at south by southwest on march 10th of 2019 and had a uh, a wider release on october 25th of 2019 uh travis stevens who's more known as a uh producer in the film industry this was his first film that he directed and it looks like since has only directed one other film by the name of jacob's wife which looks like punk also has a part of that so potentially coming soon to the contrarians jacob's wife <laughs> girl on the third floor described as a horror film currently stands at 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, won a lot of official selection awards. Uh, Boston Underground Film Festival, Chattanooga Film Festival, Overlook Film Festival, (laughs) Popcorn Frights Film Festival, Fright Fest London, Knoxville Horror Film Festival, Fantasy Film Fest, WIO Film Festival, Cinema Chicago Film Festival, and uh, it actually won a selection award at South by Southwest, where it premiered. I could tell by your... Grown that you do not side with the uh, this wouldn't be in the Julio Oliveira official selection.
0: uh no, no, it wouldn't. I mean, did you see its run Tomato score? Yeah, you did because you, yeah, 84%. Did you see the audience score?
1: <laughs> no, I didn't. What is
0: it?
1: 22%. Oh,
0: like that's that kind of disparity. That's what you usually, I guess, I would think that maybe it got review bombed. Like, that would have been, like, a thought. But it's not a big movie that causes, you know, did they get, like, a bunch of, like, CM Punk haters to just put negative uh, reviews? There's 504 audience reviews versus, I think it's, like, 20 critic reviews. But here's my thing, Alex, because you're always talking to me about my people. Not Peruvians, but my MCU people. (laughs)
1: Yes, for anyone that's listening for the first time, I don't constantly <laughs> lambast Julio for his people.
0: Well, I'm gonna talk to you about your people, Alex. And I don't mean wrestling fans. I mean horror people. That's Better be careful. Hey, I just gotta call them calls them like I sees them. You you look through most of these positive quotes on Run Tomatoes and like Brent McKnight from The Last Thing I See. Ryan Larson from ghastly grinning uh, Molly Henry from the blogging banshee CH Newell from father son holy Gore so it's like <laughs> that's how you get uh, to to the fresh tomato meter score because you just get all these horror uh, websites which look don't want to ruffle more feathers than I have to but uh, they may be a little too charitable with with this type of movie you know what is girl on the third floor it's just a bunch of practical effects a lot of gore what's the problem to someone like me it's just like I've seen all this shit before plenty of time with better actors (laughs) And and with a better story but but you get how dare you sir but you get your people you give them this and it's like oh my god it's the best thing ever and and that's why we have an 82% run tomato score. or 84%. Once again proven that run tomatoes is a broken system. But let's talk about this movie, Alex. <laughs> it sounds like you like it.
1: I actually dug it pretty <laughs> I actually yeah, I actually really like this. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, it had to it had to happen. Sooner or later we're gonna have a disagreement in the in the Roxena journey. Um,
1: now Real quick, the there is like a segment of the movie that I really I completely checked out of. The dog getting killed. Fuck off. Oh yeah, I, that,
0: that was they went there.
1: That we we've talked about that on some of our I can't remember the last episode where we mentioned it, but on our previous episodes where we've uh, of our film podcast, our main timeline, we've talked about how that's such an easy trope and such like a cop-out of something to do is to kill the dog. Um, so not a fan of that. And then that kind of led into the thing of punk, uh, trying to kill Sarah. And it was just like, what's your fucking plan? Literally. What's the plan, Phil. (laughs) And so it's (laughs) that whole segment of the film. I was just like this. I, it was the biggest fear of like, uh, the guilty that QVR I just did. Uh How like I, I really dug the first half and then the second half, I was just like, you know, wet fart. I was just like, Oh God, So with this, like when it got to that point, I was like, Man, I was really digging this so far, and this sucks. But then they got me back, uh, by just going full ridiculous.
0: So I I guess here's like the the, something that's I think not the crux, but maybe one of the cruxes this movie. Do you think CM Punk is a good actor? Or or, okay, do you think this is a good performance from him? No. Okay, and he is, like, fucking 80% of the movie.
1: But, see, this is, like, <laughs> this is where I knew this was going to go. Because I'm, I'm about to say something like, but it's it's a throwback to, like, the, you know, the horror movies of the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, and, you know, the haunting. And you're just going to be like, I don't care about that. And so that's kind of, like, where we're left at.
0: <laughs> a, a throwback to when acting didn't matter. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's you had plenty to- of
1: fucking horror movies about like hauntings and demonic curses and shit that are just like this where the acting isn't that good yeah punk at no point in this was i hungering for a, the next cm punk movie <laughs> but like the cinematography was really good the sets were awesome the violence was cool and it was just kind of like I mean, I don't think this is great, but I had a good time for the most part watching
0: it. Uh, uh, it's not just CM Punk, by the way. It I, I think everybody except for maybe the pregnant wife is it's pretty weak sauce when it comes to acting. Like his friend. She's yeah. Oh yeah, uh is it Milo? Milo, yeah. When he yeah. he's he's I think is it's the way that they shoot his close up is like he's looking almost directly into the camera and he's like um uh, What's the name of the wife? Lucy? Uh, Liz. Liz. And it's like, well, Liz is my friend too. Am I supposed to lie to her? <laughs> what am I yeah, watching?
1: Yeah, and it's cutting back and forth to that like extreme close-up perspective of kind of like, you know, they're looking at you and then Punk's, what does he say? He's like, if you can't handle it, don't be here when I get back. <laughs> Making fucking Donnie Wahlberg look like... Uh, <laughs> Uh, fuck Gary Oldman. <laughs> uh, but again, it's it's that shit that I enjoy that you don't, and it's kind of hard. It's <laughs> hard to explain to someone who's who doesn't like it. We talk about that all the time on our show about certain movies. Like, if this is what you like, if this is what you're into, it's good. And so, like the atmosphere in the building. Uh, like when he goes into the bar for the first time, mm-hmm. I was just like, I was getting really into it. When like, the guy like, asks him, are you queer? <laughs> well, not specifically that part, <laughs> but how he just like walks in and there's no one there. And, you know, he, you want to drink or you're here to eat. And he's like, let's start with the drink. He's like, well, I can help you with that. I can't guarantee the food or something like, it's just really like simple dialogue. And, you know, it's, um, the fucking, uh, preacher showing up at his house and learning in the end that it's, it's a balance between good and evil that keeps everything in check, and I can tell you, I don't know if I'm ever going to watch this again, but <laughs> I certainly didn't seem to dislike it to the level you did. Uh, I'm jumping all over the place, so yeah, let's let's start with the man of the hour here, CM Punk. You know, this is a better movie than No Holds Barred. I don't know if I'm telling any tales at recess, but it kind of goes into... So, so we're we-
0: starting at the very bottom. The- <laughs> but
1: it's something I it, it you know, there's parallels, because... What we talked about when we did that episode and what everyone's always talked about that seen that is Hulk Hogan captivated the fucking world, the nation in the the mid 80s, the late 80s with the whole his whole shtick. He was just on TV and, you know, dude, the 24 inch pie sounds, brother, say your prayers, take your vitamins and what you going to do, dude. (laughs) And so. The ignorance and naivety Of him to think that that means he can do movies is it doesn't always translate and you know no holds barred and his performance as rip thomas is an abortion and not on the same (laughs) level as this but it's similar i give punk a little slack here because this was you know his first movie that he did but you saw it like him as that presence as cm punk in the wrestling arena and you know doing that Pipe bomb promo and just the shit he would say and the way he would act physically, he seems so much more comfortable and lucid. Whereas here, it's just they don't feel like the same person because here it seems like almost like you know a college movie of someone trying to dramatically read lines that really can't. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? What I'm trying
0: to say, oh, yeah, 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 that's why I was, I he was almost unrecognizable when I watched them uh, on the. You know, on the matches and everything after having seen the movie first, because watching it here, I'm like, OK, so th- he's just not a good actor. He, he just can't perform, but he can because I, you know, I saw him doing the promos and he's great there. It- it's just that he has very limited range, I guess, or even if it's not limited, what they ask of him in this movie, which is to basically carry it because he's in the movie, you know, most of the time. Uh, it's just beyond him i 'm not saying that it's impossible for CM Punk to headline a movie and actually make it interesting but when it's when most of the movie is just him doing house renovations it, it's like you need somebody that, that that can pull that off and this guy's not it I mean he's uh, and then whenever he gets to interact with other with other people it's just he's not bringing it he's I, I don't know what he's doing I mean he's just stiff and not charismatic and i have i don't have a problem with him being a bad person i thought that was the best part of the movie that they kind of uh slowly double down on him being just a complete shithead so when he actually you know tries to kill the the ghost woman i was like oh that's cool i mean this is not a good movie but at least they're they're committing to him being a bad person. Uh, And then, you know, of course, they had to just when things were getting interesting, they had to write him out of the movie (laughs) so that his pregnant wife could take over the third act.
1: Yeah, that whole third act was one of the things that worked for me because it went from what felt almost like a possession movie Mm -hmm. to this just weird, supernatural, time bending thing. Like when she goes in the house and all the people are there watching the show. And then we find out, like, what it was, the brothel that they have there and the type of shows they did and whatnot. Could have done without the, you know, the final scare of punk. That's my girl or whatever <laughs> he says to his baby through the, the great. You know, a, a, as you were explaining it, the movie I did for one of our QVRs recently, um, Devil's Candy, is like a vastly superior version of this movie. Very similar in the sense of, you know, they move to a new house. There's this... Curse that comes along with it. Ethan Embry's reacting not favorably to it. But the things you're saying, exactly right. If you're going to have someone doing really remedial tasks that occupy a large space in the movie, it's got to be someone that's more captivating than at least CM Punk is in this environment. He, man, he could be. Like if his character was a lot different, but he shows up wearing a polo tucked into khakis and it's just, he's clean shaven and. It's uh, it's interesting, and I think it's a it's a good looking movie. The do you like the the demon Sarah? Do you or was she another one that you were just like no, no I, time I, for?
0: Well, no. Okay, wait. I I like the the actual like monster girl. Like I like the the visual of it. The
1: just the the siren on the water. The the, the hot girl that.
0: Yeah. No. The, the Lou- hot girl. I don't think she's she's good either. I mean. Okay. I, she just she's just right there with uh, with CM Punk I'm sorry for what
2: I'm sorry for not being honest from the start I'm sorry for treating you unfairly I'm sorry for making you feel unimportant Most of all, I'm sorry for threatening you. Wow.
3: Did you rehearse that?
2: I deserve that, but no. I mean it, I'm sorry. I understand why you feel so angry.
3: Well, it's not a very nice way to treat someone, Don. I hope you treat your wife and kid better than this.
2: I love my wife. And I wish I was stronger. To make all this up to you, I got you something.
3: A gift from a married man. Sounds a lot like a bribe.
2: If you're interested, it's in the kitchen.
0: like i said the only the only person that kind of seemed like a like a like an actual person that i could you know that seemed like a, a somebody that had some acting <laughs> under their belt was uh, the pregnant wife and i don't know if it's just because she is also mostly removed from the the like the movie's asking her to be a reasonable person uh, and maybe uh-huh. that's a little easier to play than you know, having to play this sort of ghost girl, or having to play uh, I guess like an asshole, but I mean, you would think that CM Punk would be okay at, play, you know, would be good at playing an asshole, but somehow it yeah. just, this just doesn't doesn't do it. And The other thing is that there's not, like, I understand that it, atmosphere-wise this this does okay, because the, you know, like you said, the sets are well done, like the, the and it, all the practical stuff, it's it's creepy. Like in when it gets grotesque, it gets grotesque in an interesting way. But, um, I just didn't have the patience for him. Like it's so much of It's just the same beat over and over. It's like, Oh, he'll be doing some chore and then something gross will happen or something weird will happen. And he'll kind of look around a little confused. And then he'd be like, all right, back to work. And he just keeps doing the same thing over and over and over. And, uh, back to one yeah yeah it's like well now we'll move on to the sink and now we'll do this wall and now we'll like hang a mirror and uh it just felt like this movie had so little story and it just stretched it out Um so by the time that we got to the brothel i was just i didn't care i was done uh i couldn't believe because c- i thought that it was you know like he he finally CM punk is just full on getting attacked by the the demons and the you know the balls are crawling the little balls are crawling up inside his his skin and uh he starts screaming marbles yeah the marbles and then we cut to black and I'm just like oh shit it's over and then I look and there's still like almost half an hour left. I'm like how the hell did this <laughs> go on for another thirty minutes? Yeah the answer is that oh well because the wife is gonna show up. She doesn't even know that the dog is dead. <laughs> she just shows up and has no idea what she's walking into. Yeah, I was not a fan.
1: Girl on the third floor was filmed in a reputed haunted house at 207 Center Road in Frankfort, Illinois. I read an interview with Travis Stevens, the director, who said he thought about having people stay there. He was going to stay there to kind of get a feel for it, but he said it was clear the house did not want anybody there. So I guess <laughs> trying to give the impression that it was uh, a tumultuous filming experience. Yeah, he did an interview with uh, Screen Rant. Uh, interview with Zach Wojnar. Wojnar, I apologize Zach if I'm mispronouncing your name. I'm pretty sure I am. Uh, this was back at the time of the release. One of the questions asked was, "Not only is it your film debut, but it's also Phil's first movie." I was honestly shocked when I learned that. I mean, he's so magnetic. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know he was the one for the part, even though he hadn't been in any movies yet? I knew him through how he conducted himself in his other career, just watching his interviews he did with Harold Hwani before his MMA fight, watching how he conducted himself throughout the wrestling phase of his career, wrestling phase
3: i just yeah that,
1: that was a phase that's why he's back at it now i just had a lot of confidence in him because i think he's a really good talented person i guess with anything whether it's acting or directing you've just got to start somewhere probably the most important thing is finding out how hard you're willing to work and are and are you easy to work with and phil was both i'm super excited to see what he does with does next with other directors because i think he's fucking awesome uh I don't know about you. For me, the weakest part of his performance was when he was having to act like he was FaceTiming.
0: <laughs> I didn't thought of singling that out, but yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> uh, I the- I don't know, I, I felt that I don't know that I can even single like a single part of the performance out. It's just overall I can't think of a moment where i thought oh he's doing well yeah no sorry (laughs) but the facetiming is terrible
1: are you a big wrestling guy did you have any fan moments with phil like oh my god i'm working with cm punk just for anyone that doesn't know if you ever see him in public do not call him phil (laughs) i don't know if he i don't know if he answers to that at all i don't even know if his wife calls him that he is cm punk it's his curse Travis Stevens responded no for whatever reason I stopped watching wrestling in the early 90s so did a lot of people (laughs) for whatever reason uh shit started to suck or no you should say uh in the early 90s I turned 12 (laughs) no for whatever reason I stopped watching wrestling in the early 90s it's one of those things where it's so pervasive that you're always I don't know with social media and everything I find myself reading about Roman Reigns and reading about AEW even though I don't watch it it's such a big part of our culture uh julio i think you can attest that aside from me is there anyone else that's really talking about wrestling on your timeline
0: uh friends of yours <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's about who you follow brother so I, I wouldn't say it's a big part of our culture the there's no numbers that really back that up but yeah, I fanned out over Phil about the stuff he was talking about, not the stuff he had done in his previous career. I'm a fan of him as a person, not as a personality. I was completely aware of him as a martial artist. Fuck off. <laughs> I watched all his, I watched all his fights too because <laughs> I was curious to see how he was going to do well before we set out making this movie. So I felt I had a real understanding of him before we worked together. He's a fighter. Not sure he watched the same fights. <laughs> Lastly, I don't know if there's a single CGI effect in this movie. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but is everything 100% in camera? There's one shot that takes a practical effect and adds a CG element to it. CG can be great, but we're shooting in the actual house, and it was the first film for many of the actors. And it was my first film as a director, so it seemed smarter to lean into things we could actually see so we would know the reality of the blood seeping out of the wall or what the marble rolling across the floor looks like rather than having to imagine it. So, yeah, we dedicated a lot of time and resources to actually doing it in camera, and it makes it easier because you see what you get. People that have never listened to us are wondering why I'm putting so much inflection and emphasis on this.
0: I don't think you're making the point you think you're making, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to remember that you're quoting the guy who directed Girl on the Third Floor.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm just looking for someone. like I need to take up arms in my fight. And I need <laughs> backup up from time to time. I tell you what, man. Rachel McAdams would have been a lot better in fucking Doctor Strange if there was a marble rolling across the floor instead of her having to look at a tennis ball and react to it.
0: Uh, or you could have uh, you could have put like all the practical effects in the world and then have CM Punk play Doctor Strange and the movie would have sucked.
1: <laughs> I don't remember any of the lines he has in it, but you know CM Punk with with the mustache. <laughs> yeah, and Iron Man shows up and uh. Oh, fuck. What does he say? I'm trying to think of how Punk would say it in a Chicago accent. This is the end. How how would you say hitherto unknown (laughs) in a Chicago accent? (laughs) Hitherto unknown. (laughs) Yeah, Iron Man would say something just in that Chicago. Huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not particularly good. I enjoyed myself, but that's coming off of a novelty of seeing CM Punk in a movie and kind of just a fun throwaway horror movie i i really liked at the end the the reveal of why it is it's the balance of good and evil that keeps things in check i i I just thought that was great uh i was i was
0: i was pacing up and down my living room by then so i (laughs) (laughs) i did not care about the the bigger meaning behind the
1: i can just see like you going to you know turn it off or something when it fades to black and then it comes in with the title card six months later <laughs> fuck
0: <laughs> this is the first thing i've seen him in other than you know talking dead so i didn't have even i didn't even have the thing of like oh i wonder what it's gonna be like to see him act in a movie this was just like oh this is the guy it he's not <laughs> he's <good."> the guy <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
1: my main complaint is that cult of personality didn't play over the credits (laughs)
0: so the whole thing
1: the whole thing with that is he used that in ring of honor when he was a bad guy as his entrance theme because you know independence they don't it's not like WWE where you have a whole in-house studio where people write entrance themes you just pick what song you want so he used Cult of personality and then when he came back the two weeks after money in the bank he had cult of personality as his theme song still uses it to this day that was a huge thing I remember when he came back with that as his entrance theme that reeked to me of something that he put in the contract saying "I, you, you have to get the rights to this song so I can use it because huh. he always you know, liked that and it, it fit him as a wrestling character so well and Vince hates that mm-hmm. Vince he's like god damn it what did I buy that recording studio for for Jim Johnson if we're just gonna buy songs to use and so he kept it throughout his WWE career, kept it into AEW, where he's at now, and uh, even got at WrestleMania 29, Living Color, actually played him out to the ring, played that song. It was really cool. Holy Good shit. Good stuff. So, no cult of personality, just a girl on the third floor. Julio, man, when this was over, I almost went on Letterboxd and gave it three and a half stars, and I'm glad I did oh it, because I'm definitely... <laughs> I've definitely reconsidered. i <laughs> uh, <laughs> Your indignance about this is just absolutely wonderful. Okay. All right. Gun to your head. You have to re-watch this or The Reunion. What are you watching?
0: Dude. That's that's a really... Like, you might have to shoot me. <laughs> I Which one's shorter? This one's shorter, isn't it? Grab the barrel and put it on your forehead. Pull the trigger. There's a lot less going on in this one. That's the thing. That's the thing that The Reunion would have ahead of it, but just barely that I can kind of, like, distract myself. No, fuck it. The, the Reunion has Ethan Embry, so I would go with The Reunion. I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't be happy about it, but... Uh, I mean, I gave The Reunion one and a half stars, didn't I? Or no, I went up to two, because I liked the behind-the-scenes on the DVD. Um, did you see how much I gave uh, this one letterboxed? No, what'd you give this? One star. One, <laughs> just one star.
1: I gave the reunion a half star, so <laughs> you definitely like that more than me.
0: <laughs> I don't like it. I just like it more than you do.
1: The Marine got a whole half star more than the reunion. <laughs> Dead center C for me here. Uh, like I said, I didn't hate it, but I'm I don't foresee myself ever revisiting it.
0: Do you see? Do you see yourself going to bat? for it though like when you you know you hear somebody talking shit about this movie would you possibly would you go like well actually I thought that he was okay
1: it would depend on what they're saying about it because there's some things like I said you know punk is not very good but there's aspects of the movie and it's presentation that I enjoy so it would depend on what they're talking shit about (laughs) I would say, no, you know what CM Punk's real problem is? (laughs) You think that's bad? You should see his MMA career. (laughs) I kid. I kid. So, yeah, dead center C for me on that. We will return to the topic of CM Punk in part five as a whole lot happens in the wake of Once in a Lifetime that concerns one Philip Brooks. Julio, thoughts, closing thoughts on CM Punk? You curious to see where this fellow goes?
0: I'm curious about his wrestling career uh, way more than I am about his movie career, which is not something I would have expected. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Alright, well coming up next in the Rock Cena retrospective miniseries, will be part four and we will be in Miami, Florida. It'll be April 1st, 2012. Sun Life Stadium. It was a god damn gorgeous day julio and i will tell you all about it as <laughs> it's time for once in a lifetime the rock and john cena it's time for the bell to ring and find out who's the better man uh, we'll couple that with the WWE produced once in a lifetime documentary which i of course own on blu-ray julio will be checking out on peacock so if you're going to be a returning listener be sure to catch up on both of those before uh checking out part four and like we called out at the top of the episode, if you're a first timer and you like what you've heard here, uh, first of all, go to our website. We are the contrarians.com browse it, find a movie. That's a favorite of yours and uh, give the episode a listen. Let us know what you think. And then if you want more of this content pertaining to uh, the rock and John Cena and the build to WrestleMania 28, be sure to go to patron.com slash contrarian prime plop down $1. You'll have access to all the previous episodes on this subject. So Julio, as has been the case for this entire thing i appreciate your patience and your willingness to indulge me in all this uh
0: it's fun it's fun i would if i didn't have this outlet to vent my frustration over shit like uh like you know, if i just
1: told you to watch it and like we didn't talk about it ever
0: yes then i would be mad but this was fun cuz i was like okay at least we get to like either trash it together or i get to or we get to argue about it so you know it's all good
1: all right, Julio. That does it for episode three. We'll be circling back to our friend CM Punk in part five. But next, it is part four. The promotion is done. The talking is done. It's the Rock. It's John Cena. It's once in a lifetime.
3: This is where somehow one of these one of these superstars has got to dig way down deep and get something extra. Yeah, it's over time. And it's overtime. That may be what what Rock is about to do here. The Rock. You don't see Rock go up there very often. The Brahma Bull perched on the top rope. Cross body. Cena rolls through. Cena powering. powering. He's got the Rock up. John Cena with an unbelievable show of strength. I can't believe little.